is the movie Hall of Fame class of 2012 for Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. Adam Hall across the table from me. I'm Nico. We're your hosts. Hello. Talking 2012, which was 10 years ago, Adam. Uh, very uncomfortable about the fact that this was 10 years ago. It makes me very uncomfortable. I was reading these movies and I was like, holy you, shit. I thought old. these came out three years ago. I know. Some of them, yeah. It's just like, whoa. Well, that was that's upsetting, right? Yes. Not, not a... How best to describe it? Like, I'm... I got a lot of mixed feelings about this list, I realized, though. Huh. Interestingly enough. Yeah, I don't think there's any movie on this list that I dislike, but yeah, my enthusiasm ranges quite wildly here. It was, I think, the first year in my life when I really took movie watching seriously, uh-huh. where it was like, I'm going to see everything that comes out. I recall oh. distinctly running an Oscar pool at my high school. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, and God. losing. Yeah. And I lost the Oscar pool. Yeah, you didn't get it yet. I'm the only guy that cared. <laughs> and I forced all of my classmates to do an Oscar pool with oh, me. Oh, no. It was pathetic. And wow. I lost. What Could you, you imagine me losing an Oscar pool today? Well, what were you going for to win at 2012? What was it The Artist? Uh, the Artist, that's what won. No, The Artist was... No. Well, we'll go, right, no, go yeah, through it right. now. Do you want to go through it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's relitigate this. <laughs> uh, your Best Picture nominees. Amour, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Django Unchained, Les Miserables, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty, and your winner, Argo. Oh, this is the Argo year. Argo. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh. Oh, that's right. Shit. That was such a surprise. Even for me, I was like, what? Well, the the controversy was that, uh, you know, Argo got a Best Picture nomination, but did not get a Best Director nomination for Ben Affleck. That happens, though. And everyone was very upset about that, and that sort of led to an outrage, beginning at the Golden Globes, when Ben Affleck won Best Director, and it became like this whole narrative that actually Argo got robbed, and Mm -hmm. so they gave it Best Picture. I see. One of the rare times that a movie wins Best Picture, and the director was not nominated for Best Director. Uh, Was that the right choice? No. I agree. I would say it's not even close to the right choice. I like Argo, but like, I like Argo fine. Yeah, but mad though. You ever see a more? Not yet. The Michael Haneke. Not yet. No, it's a rough one though. I know. I'll tell you, it's a rough one. You know, <laughs> it's a Michael Haneke film though. What do you expect? Certainly. Uh, Les Miserables, piece of shit. <laughs> I haven't seen it either. <laughs> Lincoln, snooze and a half. Uh, Life of Pi. Uh, I like Life of Pi. Sorry. Right. Do you remember who won Best Director? Hold on. Oh, it was Ang Lee. It was Ang Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. For Life of Pi. You know, that movie's filled with controversy, interestingly enough. A bit unusual. Kind of an unusual choice for best director, I would say. Why? I don't know. It's kind of just like a CGI-filled movie with a tiger and a cute boy and like... Is that what you... Well, so... uh, It's it's just kind of inessential. So was Gravity, though. That was nothing but CGI, but something about that really worked yes yes i think this was around the time maybe we're still in this phase where the person that was able to juggle the most special effects most technical was, crap was man. seen as the best director when very rarely are they actually involved with the ins and outs of the technical crap 
and that was very true with uh, Life of Pi, where it's like that movie is sort of riding on the backs of the special effects artists who got fucked in the ass later on, and how they kind of lost their jobs, and yeah. that that end, that part of their industry really suffered as a result because they couldn't pay them enough, and yes. it was kind of a disaster. But Yang Lee still walked away with his golden statues. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's we, I, we talked about this as well with uh, with nineteen seventeen and how Deacons is really the star of that that movie and it's really a feat of cinematography more than it is directing um but yeah i I mean this is the case with the best editing oscar this is the case with the best makeup and costuming oscar like the stuff that is the most showy is seen as the best because the people voting on these things are often you know craftspeople that don't have an awareness for how cinematographers work and or actors that don't know you know what it takes to be a good sound designer Mm. uh so yeah, that, I don't know, kind of a, a weird win. The other nominees there, Michael Haneke for Amor, uh, Ben Zietlin for Beasts of the Southern Wild, who has not been heard from since. Nope. Don't know what happened to that guy. Spielberg for Lincoln and David O. Russell for Silver Linings. I don't know who I give it to, though. That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I might give it to, um, yeah, I mean, was Bigelow nominated? No. No. And she just won for her locker. I, I, I would have. She's a. She's up there. Her and Tarantino are probably the two that I would consider the most out of these. Um, I might even squeeze in PTA for that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I don't know. It's weird because Bigelow won for her worst movie. Her the worst movie of the two modern war movies. Sure, that she did. Yeah. I think Zero Dark Thirty is clearly better than Hurt Locker. Oh yeah, I, I agree as well. You yeah. know, I mean, I really like uh, Hurt Locker, but yeah, there is something so much so much richer about Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, best actor went to Daniel Day Lewis. Okay. Fine. Be- beats out Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings, Hugh Jackman for Les Mis, Joaquin for The Master, and Denzel for Flight. Might have given it for, to Joaquin. We'll talk about it. Rewatch that movie. You did. Goodness gracious. <laughs> it's a, is he a revelation? It's a heck of a movie. That one. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, this is where we might get a little controversial. Jennifer Lawrence wins best actress for silver linings. I mean, I don't have an issue with that. Beats Jessica Chastain for zero dark 30. Okay. Emmanuel uh, Riva for a more Quavenjane Wallace for beast of the Southern wild. She's like seven years old in that movie. <laughs> and Naomi Watts for the impossible. Okay. I mean, that, no, no, I don't think any of those are really bad choices. Quimbenjane uh, Wallace, incredible in that movie. Beasts of the Southern Wild? Yes. I, I still haven't seen it, so. Yeah, I love that movie. I, I oh. acknowledge that, uh, you know, it's kind of like art house garbage. <laughs> okay. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I acknowledge that the director is probably a hack who hasn't done anything since. Mm. I don't know. I guess I saw it at the right time, and I'm like, whoa, this is cinema. Oh, <laughs> have you seen it since? No, mm. I've only seen it once. I, I'm always curious about movies like that to rewatch because mo- there's a few movies on this list that I've seen s- so many fucking times. Right. Uh, but yeah, like it, this is a year I, I will. I'll certainly give it this. They've aged very well. The, most of them for me. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I. I. I don't know. What it's, kind what, of person were you in 2012 watching movies? I guess what kind of movie viewer were you? Oh God. What was going on with Adam? Uh. I'm sure about this time I was the only person skeptical of Christopher Nolan. Okay. So there's that. That's significant. I was watching 
I was watching all sorts of stuff. I wasn't necessarily as interested in um, the Oscar stuff. I just caught it when I could. Uh-huh. You know, I, w- I didn't need to watch every single Best Picture winner. So I wasn't, because a lot of those things I was sort of, you know, privy to and that I thought, yeah, they're all kind of the same, uh-huh. you know. And I, you know, I saw all the movies that you you listed. And I thought, yeah, they're fine Oscar-y movies. It was about the time where I was starting to reckon with the term, it's an Oscar movie as well. Sure. You know, but at that time, there were also a lot of movies that I wasn't, how old was I? 17 17 yeah yeah so but but it was it was also around the time where it's like if i wanted to go to the, the theater i ha- had to bring someone with me yeah so there's one movie on this list in particular that i just i i ended up wanting to see but i couldn't see it because no one else wanted to see it because they thought it looked terrible uh-huh. um and yeah that that was a little frustrating so the, i was able to scam my friends into going oh yeah that thing. was hard like it, it was, was hard it, yeah it was at that time where i was the movie guy i had i was clearly Sort of, I had I had staked my claim as oh. Nico the movie guy, and my opinion was just sort of taken as fact. Oh, that's fascinating. Because yeah. for, for me, it was I wasn't carving out an identity as the movie guy. People just talked to me like Adam. Why do you know fucking everything about movies? I'm like, yeah. do I? No, again, they're like Oscar yeah, pool yeah, in high school. Yeah, like yeah. I was, I was yeah. projecting to the entire grade. That's you. You construct that though. That's a little different. That's sure. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. People just came to me and said, yeah, you, you're the movie guy. I'm like, I am. Yeah. I didn't realize I that. I was organizing screenings that like, is- <laughs> in high school. I swear to God, I was, or- because like after like the AP exams and like after, you know, by June, everybody, including the teachers were checked out of school. And there were points where I'm just like, hey, let's watch a movie. Let's watch Casino Royale in the auditorium. Let's and I was just organizing Ooh. these. We watched Ferris Bueller one time. <laughs> like, um, and I was like, I, I ran <laughs> this. I'm such a fucking loser. Just thinking about this now. I ran like a poll where I like put a bunch of options oh, wow. and I would hand out these ballots and people would like vote on what would be the. The, the screened movie. Oh, my God. That sounds like fun. Yeah. It's aggressively populist. Yes. I was a, uh, I was like a, th- I, I was like, I, I had my own little Alamo draft house. Wow. In the I high mean, school auditorium. And I would, I was the programmer for the entire class. I'd love to see the convergence, though, where you where you go and you discover the the, the weirder stuff. Because I was in the weird phase. Yeah. This, is, this for me is post-drive, okay. which kind of changes everything for me. Uh-huh. Um, it's, you know, but it's also around the time where, you know, it's when Netflix is still doing the mail in movies. So I'm getting, right. a, I'm getting a bunch of movies I'm doing the same thing, that I yeah. just like, okay, I want this, 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 this and that. Yes. And I, I ended up getting like Mulholland Drive and my mom fucking hated it, but I loved it. Yes. And it was just like, whoa, look at all these, these crazy movies I can see. So that's where I think I was getting most of my uh, experiences with like a broader range of film. But right. it is interesting. We both kind of started to really branch out at this time. I guess I'm starting. Well, here's the key. We both turned 17. And it's the first year that we were able to see R-rated movies in the theater without our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. It's also the first year I can just say personally that I had a car and I was driving places. And the one place that I always drove was the movies. I, I went to the movies, I got to say, twice a week on average, wow. particularly in the wow. summer. There were weeks where I would spend three, four, five days in the movies just because... We were 16 and 17. There was nothing to do. Like, you couldn't go to the bar. I mean, I guess you could drink in your parents' basement, but I wasn't doing that uh, because I was a fucking wimp and, you know, I was, you know, I was Nico. Uh, So, like, I wasn't doing that. I was just with my friends cruising around and Mm -hmm. we would, like, go bowling and go to a movie. And that was every day. And then maybe we would go to, like, my friend's pool. And we'd spend time. So there was so much time being killed. And uh, 
I think I use, listen, some people use their freedom to do nefarious, bad behavior things. I use that freedom to see movies. Um, So I guess, yeah, this was around the time when I really started dipping my toe. It's probably the first time I saw a Terrence Malick movie. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's, I'll I'll say this, uh, around the time I was really getting into Tarantino, Django was my second Tarantino movie. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, Reservoir Dogs was my first and then Django was my second. Yeah, yeah. I saw Reservoir Dogs. What about Inglorious Bastards? I don't think I saw it when it came out. Damn. 2009? No. I think I'd seen all of those. I think the only one I hadn't seen was Jackie Brown. That's one of the later ones that I saw. But I was, yeah. So I was pretty caught up on a lot of that stuff. No, I think this was around the time. Yeah, because I think I I saw Reservoir Dogs. Huh. This was what, junior year of high school? Yes. So yeah, I... I saw Reservoir Dogs probably that year and fell in love with it. And then I saw Django immediately in the theater opening day. It was Christmas Day. Uh, and then, yeah. And then afterwards, I did the whole marathon. That's a good order to go in because those... Did you say you saw Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction was after Django, I think. Okay, wow. I mean, if you see... Yeah, I mean, Reservoir Dogs and then immediately follow it with Django, it's a pretty intoxicating experience, I would imagine. Yes, because because Django, I mean, we'll get into my feelings on Django and my feelings towards Tarantino, but like, yeah, 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 I get it. Yes, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, especially for a kid my age too. It's like, oh shit, this is what movies can be. But this is at an age where movies really start popping for people like you and me, like because that experience for me was like, like, oh, I didn't know movies could go and be this, and that's why I responded so viscerally to Drive, mm. and you know, like that's one of those movies similar to Django in a way where if you see it at the right time, like, whoa, this is it, baby. Yeah, I guess because Reservoir Dogs, by the time that I saw it, I think I had seen so many other movies that were directly ripping it off, ripping off yeah. Reservoir Dogs, uh, that were like sort of. Day, you know, very uh, mundane is not the word, but like heist movies that shrink the story down, don't show the heist, yeah. show a lot of like banter between criminals. Every Guy Ritchie movie is in some way, you know, an homage or ripoff of of Reservoir Dogs. And I think like I was so familiar with that language that by the time I saw it, I'm like, wow, this is great, one of my favorite movies ever. But it, I don't think it was the same feeling that like a lot of people had. When the, you know, Madonna, like a virgin monologue <laughs> opens the movie in 1992. Well, it's like, wow, could, this is the language of cinema changing in front of our eyes. But how could it be, though? It's just different. Couldn't you know? be. But seeing Django, I had not seen a lot of the Sergio Leone Westerns. I, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't know who Sergio Carbucci was. I didn't know about black exploitation films. I didn't I didn't know any of this stuff. And now I'm seeing just this this uh, this incredible mishmash of all these different genres that I'm getting exposed to at the first time in a modern big budget, big movie star, delicious Tarantino action movie. Hmm. And that's what sort of made me go back. It's like, Oh, there's, there's a history to this stuff. Oh, like yeah. there's a language that you have to learn in order to really get it. And then going back and learning that language, uh, I'll, I'll say this too. When I was in college, freshman year, I did a video essay on, on Django Unchained. Really? It was like one of my first oh, cool. big, I don't know if you can call it a thesis, but it was like one of my, <laughs> it was like the final project okay. uh, in one of my comm classes. Um, and I sort of went through it. Um, so yeah, this is, this is probably, 
we're around the origin story, I think, for me. That's cool. You know? You made a brought up an interesting point, too, where it's like certain films like Django take you down other paths. Yes. You know, movies like that for me, like, like were Seven, when I first saw Seven, that was one where it just got so interested in, like, these types of psychological thrillers, and then you're tipped off to, like, The French Connection, and yes. you're tipped off to Silence of the Lambs to an extent. Yes. And just a lot of films like that. Even, even like, like later on, when you when you look at something like the Red Dragon, uh-huh. when you see the opening of that, and you're like, yeah, there's, there's Seven right there. And you realize like movies have these, it's like, it's like this incredible, uh, uh, tree. Yeah. Just, there's like, this, there's, it's ancestry.com. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's like, it's like an, uh, an ant hive, you know, like that just splits off into so many interesting territories and, you know, it starts at this funny center. Yeah. Where that one movie is just the tip yeah, of the iceberg exactly. and then you keep exploring. Yeah. I love that stuff. I'll say this too. I, I know you have some conflicting thoughts about Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, that was a movie I saw for the first time, did not like it. Straight didn't up, like it did not like it Woo! first time i saw it i i why i i <laughs> i saw it as just another rom-com and i had it in my head at the time that romantic comedies could not be good um, and so i saw you know interesting uh then uh one of my mentors growing up my band director dom talata who i i uh i, I talk about often because he's in my fantasy football league <laughs> still and is like a good friend of mine now but he said to me because I, I I was being punky Nico, being like, "Oh, this movie blows!" Like, uh, you know, it's it's uh, just bad. another rom com. It's just this cutesy ending, happy ending. And he goes, "Watch it again, watch oh. it again." And I watched it again. Open mind. Now it's one of my favorite movies ever made. You so it's one of those times where I think my 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 uh, my preconceived notions of what movies are supposed to be and this little bubble that I made for myself where it's like it must be this this and this it must be a Fincher movie it must be a you know it, it must be the Godfather it must be that in order to be great cinema was starting to fracture a little bit but we do still fall victim to the those those failings you and I both sure frequently I would sure say. so but it's important to remind yourself there's always that. biases yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. always biases yeah. I mean, we're gonna get some biases here I'm sure you know you know yes. my my favorite movie on the list I, I I will admit is not the best movie on the list so mm-hmm. there's that but that's another thing you know to contend with sometimes your favorites don't necessarily need to be the best movie of the year yes so uh okay Cool. That's enough soul searching, I think, for one yeah. day. <laughs> 2012. Uh, what the hell? Uh, the highest grossing movies of this year, just to reiterate, too, we are moving out of the age of original adult films and into the age of PG-13 franchise films. Yep. Number one movie of that year is The Avengers. Oh, really? Did you see that in the theater when it came out? Yes, I did. What'd you think of it when it came out? Uh, I thought it was okay. Okay. I remember fucking loving it. <laughs> no, I, I've said this before in the pod. That was the first time I felt the Marvel fatigue. Okay. Very first time. So it was early on for me. Wow. Yeah. Because I saw it. I'm like, oh my God, they're all in the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and now I, I'm like, get the hell out of Spider-Man's movie, Doctor Strange. Exactly. Get the hell out of there. That's a great way to map your cynicism. This is Peter's movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is sad because like a lot of people had the same feelings too and i did think it was co- i thought it was cool i mean i liked the movie but it was a lot of like this doesn't feel that much different from the incredible hulk i don't know yes uh <laughs> uh skyfall is number two okay a movie i saw at the time like oh shit very good movie yeah. looks really pretty probably my first deacons movie looking at it now really maybe not no he come you, did you see Ooh, well did you see uh when did you see Fargo? Oh, uh, yeah, probably before. Yeah, Shawshank. You must have seen Shawshank. Oh, yeah, Shawshank when I was like 10. Yeah. Okay, never mind. 
But the first time on the big screen where I'm like, ooh, that's pretty. Yeah. Lots of color. <laughs> I see what you mean. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, number three. Okay. A movie I liked at the time. Everybody liked at the time. And then now I think now, it's just complete garbage. Every, everyone hates it now. <laughs> uh, the Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey at number four. A movie I knew was horrible at the time. Still believe it now. <laughs> I don't think it's horrible. But <laughs> Nothing's changed. It's just kind of like, eh, fine. Uh, Ice Age Continental Drift at number five. Great movie. The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part Two. <laughs> oh my God. At number six. I can't believe that. That was the f- that was the finale of the Twilight movies. That was 2012. Jeez That's Louise. Right. Also the skeleton key for two of the, the greatest actors to ever live. Oh, Kristen yeah. Stewart and Robert Pattinson. Soon to be the best Batman of all time, Nico. Where are you at, buddy? We're a week away. <laughs> uh, no, I'm going to see it. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm mildly excited for it. Where's your hype on a scale of one to ten? Six, seven. I'm around there, too. Yeah. 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 My tickets are pre-ordered, though. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think I think you're you're full of it. <laughs> you're going to come out fucking loving it. Totally. I, I know it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Stop kidding yourself. Uh, number seven is the amazing Spider-Man. Did don't, not care for it then. Don't care for it now. Really don't care for it now. Madagascar three, Europe's most wanted at number eight. The Noah Baumbach film. Correct. <laughs> the Hunger Games comes in at number nine. Don't care for that one. Yeah, just a bore. A, a movie that doesn't exist anymore yeah right what happened to it <laughs> i don't know i saw that like everyone loved it and, like the second it was coming out because they loved that book and i saw it and i was like this is fucking boring and the action sucks and i don't know about that jennifer lawrence i think she's she's weird looking but then i saw it silver linings playbook <laughs> and men in black three at number 10 i love men in black three <laughs> you do men in black three is very underrated yeah okay yeah uh all right we got some honorable mentions here uh we'll try to get through these pretty quick magic mike i i was gonna put on the list and then i i struck it from the record at the last moment i have my quote and i'm not changing it bro okay <laughs> magic mike i i love it but yeah i like it looper's it was, better it was good yeah love me some tarzan they they are kind of equal okay they're very close yeah how great's tarzan tarzan <laughs> well tarzan's the best who doesn't love tarzan Magic Mike. <laughs> Fucking uh, Lawless. Uh, Do you see that movie? No, no. That's another one that's that that movie is squarely in the um, like shallows camp where every every it seems like everybody has told me to watch it at some point in time, and I just don't want to. Uh, and Shallows was an example. As soon as I saw it, I was like, "What the fuck is the matter with you people?" That movie. Was, That's that Blake Lively shark yeah, movie. Yeah, the movie was absolute fucking dog shit. I like it. It's horrid. It's fun. It's a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> Perks of being a wallflower. Good movie. Yes, very good movie. Chronicle. Good movie. Yeah. I think at the time I was kind of blown away by it much more than I would be now. Yeah, I would say overrated. I liked Definitely. it. I, it's a good movie, but calm down. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have similar feelings about another movie on this list. Kind of like killed the found footage movie. Well, that was kind of the point, I think. They think they set out to do that, but fine. Go ahead. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah. Uh, you did a good thing, Chronicle. <laughs> uh, the Impossible. Like that movie. Good movie. Tom Holland. Yeah. Tom Holland. Young Tom yeah, Holland. Young Tom Holland. Prometheus. Movie I love. Well, I'm not sure I love it at this point, but I like it a lot. Killing Them Softly. 
I never saw that in its entirety. You'd really like it. It's a very polarizing film for people. Yeah, that one got like an F cinema score when it came out. It's the ending. I've, I know what the ending is. Yeah, it's yet, but. so fucking bizarre to me. That movie's like really good. Okay. It's Andrew Dominic, yeah. who's like this really awesome like crime director. He did a bunch of episodes of Mindhunter, some of the best episodes of Mindhunter from last season. Did Jesse James. Oh did uh, Assassination of Jesse James. So good. It's um, like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's not to like. Really awesome cast. Gandolfini, Pitt. Mm-hmm. I'll see it. I like that movie. I don't know. I think the film people really like that movie, but yeah, it it seemed like a movie that was not really catering to its audience whatsoever. Yes. So, uh, flight. Good movie. Denzel. Yeah. Yeah. Good movie. Good movie. Great, uh, plane sequence when the plane's upside down. Yeah. Great plane. And great. Just John Goodman. Just being John Goodman. Great. John Goodman. Yeah. Uh, 21 jump street. (laughs) One of the last great comedies in my opinion. I completely agree. Could be the best comedy of the last 10 years. One of them, yeah, it's like in the in the top five for sure. Although you know, Twenty Two Jump Street's really good too. It's really good. It is really good. It's really solid. <laughs> uh, mud. Did you ever see Mud? Yeah, Mud Rocks. This is around the Maconnaissance. Oh God, we didn't nominate Mud. We're right in the throes of the Maconnaissance. I like Mud. Speak on Mud. I like Mud more than Looper, bro. Yeah, okay, sure. I like. I remember Mud like being it. a little slow. Yeah, it's slow, but it's really good. Really good character piece. I don't know. Good McConaughey performance in it. Yeah. Tyler Sheridan. Young Tyler Sheridan. Very young. Yes. And he's actually one of my favorite performances by him. <laughs> Renee's, uh, not uh, Reese Witherspoon. Also quite good in that one. Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard. Oh, he's great. Yeah. That was Jeff Nichols who ended up doing uh, that, what, that, that movie about the super kid. It's like Superman, but he's like, he cries a lot. Midnight Sp- Special. Did you ever see that movie? No. Okay. I did not. Yeah, it's kind of like Art House Superman. Okay. It's not bad. All right. Uh, and then uh, Take Shelter and stuff. <laughs> I've heard a lot of weird things about Take Shelter. I, haven't, I, haven't I seen like it. Take Shelter. Okay. Yeah, McConaughey's having quite a year. Yeah, he does. When's an Oscar coming the up? following year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, this is an unbelievable run by him. I love him in Mud, though. Like, that is really the whole thing for me. He's just shockingly good. Yeah, I guess it started 2011. Lincoln Lawyer, Bernie... Killer Joe. Goodness gracious. Killer Joe. Mud, Magic Mike, Dallas Buyers Club, Wolf of Wall Street. True Detective. That's a good run. Pretty fucking sick. Yeah, throw Interstellar on there. Interstellar is kind of the end of it. (laughs) And then afterwards, it's like Serenity, The Dark Tower. You know, State of Jones. I'm I'm actually okay putting Interstellar on there because it is the point where the McConaughey of it all starts getting memed a lot. Yes. So. The gentleman, the beach bum. Oh God! Oh no! Yeah, that ain't good. Yeah, that ain't good. The ge- <laughs> the beach bum. Oh my lord! What's what's the best McConaughey out of all of those? What would you say? Uh, man, there's a lot that are kind of even for me. He's really good at Magic Mike. I'm not sure that's he's excellent in Magic Mike. He's fucking incredible in that movie. Little teaser for my quote coming up. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's yeah, he's really good in that. I love. I don't know. I really like him in Mud. Maybe it's just for me. There's uh-huh. just something about that character that speaks to me more. But that could be my favorite, and just how I connect to the person. I mean, I in Dallas Buyers Club's the Oscar performance. Yeah, it's good, you know. But I gotta go Wolf of Wall Street. Just pound for pound for the <laughs> for the for the impression he leaves. Yeah, just for in terms of what he does with so little. Uh, he's great. <laughs> 
in, in Wolf of Wall Street. He is great in Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> Look at you. Hey, the other week you were you were not so keen on uh, uh, Catherine Hunter for her little role in Macbeth, though. I know. Come that's on, true. Come on. I'm not saying an Oscar or anything, but I think that's... I don't know. I think he does the most with less there. That's true. Uh, okay. What else do we have? Uh, Seven Psychopaths. Movie. That's I, your boy McDonough. I really like Seven Psychopaths. I like it. I don't like it as much as his other movies. Actually, that's not true. I like it more than Three Billboards. Yes, so do I. Haywire. Another Soderbergh movie. I think Magic Mike's the better one, but Haywire's really solid. Gina Carano. The now canceled Gina Carano. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Bernie, as I just mentioned. Uh, Holy Motors. A movie I have not seen by Leos Carax, which people love. He's the guy that did the fucking Annette, Annette movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Cabin in the Woods. Oh, Cabin in the Woods rocks. Good movie. Good movie. Pitch Perfect came out this year. <laughs> yeah, Pitch Perfect's kind of, it is what it is. Uh, Killer Joe, I just mentioned. Great year for McConaughey. Wreck-It Ralph came out this year. I haven't seen all of Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, I remember liking it at the time. <sighs> I'm lot, sorry, am I boring you? A little bit. There's so many boring movies. No, I'm just kidding. Killer Joe, Ted. Ted. Oh, God, Ted. That was a moment. <laughs> Ted Fever, baby. That Catch was, it. That was a fucking moment. <laughs> the Born Legacy, one of the great Born movies. <laughs> John Carter came out this year. Oh, the ma- oh, we were so young. The massive, <laughs> incredible bomb of John Carter. How young were we in Jeez, 2012? Uh, Room 237, great doc. You uh, like that thing? Actually, I shouldn't say great doc, but interesting doc. Okay. Kind of an annoying doc. Actually, yeah. not a good doc. Yeah. Here's some good docs, though. <laughs> Jiro Dreams of Sushi. The Queen of Versailles, really fucking good. The Act of Killing, incredible mm. filmmaking. Searching for Sugar Man, great one. Yeah. Uh, and then we have three movies that we had discussed previously on this pod. Moonrise Kingdom, The Grey, and one of the inductees into the Movie Hall of Fame, Cloud Atlas. Weird one. Cloud Atlas. Yeah. All right. Ready to go? Yeah. Here are your six nominees for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame. They are Dread, Django Unchained, Zero Dark Thirty, Looper, Silver Linings Playbook, and The Master. Fruitful list there. I'm getting old, man. Ten years ago. It's a heck of a list there. That's okay. Ten years, Adam. Yep. Ten years since Dread was released, directed by Pete Travis. And written by Alex Garland, who would go on to make some of the most interesting movies of the 2010s, Ex Machina and Annihilation. Yep. Upcoming film, Men. Did you see the trailer for Men? No, not yet. Ooh, baby. Garland, back. I, I like that Garland. He had also done 28 Days Later, though. So Writer of 28 Days Later. He's the man. He's the fucking man. He is. This thing's based on a 2000s, or 2000 AD comic strip mm-hmm. uh, titled Judge Dredd. It stars Carl Urban. Olivia Thurlby, Lena Headey, and an uncredited Domhnall Gleeson. Yeah. I didn't realize he was uncredited, but yeah. Domhnall. Yeah. Very surprising. Also got, um, what's that actor's name who they're, they're transporting in this, in this movie? Yes. Who's in a bunch of stuff. Who's he, really good. He's good. Uh, Wish I knew his name. Uh, he was in, <laughs> funny enough, he was also in Blade Runner 2049 for a bit part. Wood Harris. Wood Harris. Okay. okay. Yes. From The Wire, Avon Barksdale. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. All right. Love yeah. that guy. Uh, in a violent, futuristic city where the police have the authority to judge, 
to act as judge, jury, and executioner. A cop teams with a trainee to take down a gang that deals the reality-altering drug slow-mo. Slow-mo. This was released as Dread 3D in 2012, was shot using 3D cameras. You can tell in those slow-motion falling sequences. Uh, I, I don't even think they color correct in those. Like They just keep the red and blue effect. Yep. Uh, sort of. It uh, grossed only $41 million on a $50 million budget, considered a bomb in its time, but has since been reclaimed as a bit of a cult classic. Including, a bit of a cult classic. Including people like <laughs> you and Nick Evangelista, who are always proselytizing about this movie. Yeah, um... This is, by the way, directed by Pete Travers. This is a widely controversial topic. It's sort of, most people seem to indicate that he had very little to do with the creative process on this one. Hired hand. Yeah, hired hand officially, but there was even this very bizarre contractual agreement about like how he would just keep the name as a director for legal reasons, but in actuality, a lot of this was... Uh, Alex Garland. Yes. So even Carl Urban says, no, you should consider this his directorial debut. Makes sense. Yes. Uh, Pete Travis, by the way, had only directed, I, I guess I'd done a few things. His his big credit before this was the uh, the Dennis Quaid action film Vantage Point. Which I have seen. I've also seen it. It's kind of... It, it, and I that's don't remember the, it that well. That's honest. the dead giveaway, though, because I thought about that. I'm like, same guy that can't be yeah and apparently yeah yeah that's right it can't be (laughs) because i was like i was like they're wildly different styles and approaches to action yeah Uh, i remember it being fun is forrest whitaker in that yes yeah i think so i saw it when it came out and it didn't really stick with me but i remember seeing the trailer being like oh this looks awesome looks cool it's not a horrible movie but it's an incredibly forgettable movie that's the thing yeah um, Dread, yes, um, felt kind of important to nominate it. It's, um, it is a movie where I saw the trailers for it and it looked so bad, so unbelievably bad. I couldn't believe it was actually getting released to theaters. The trailers yes. just really took the piss out of this movie. Yes. And it was, and it was just like, I, I and I, I, you, the online was going crazy about like why the fuck would you remake a Sylvester Stallone shit movie even though that's not really what this was doing right and even I was like yeah that movie just looks awful and then it came out yeah and all of a sudden critics are like hey Dread's really good I'm like what the fuck are you talking about wasn't it like a September release too it's, yeah yeah it was, it was buried weird, in September right? it was an awkward release yeah that's right yeah but then people just kept talking about it and yeah. critics were like no it's good yeah. like what do you mean it's good and then I read the reviews and then they described the movie to me, and it seemed so tailor-made for me, I just had to see this movie. It was. It seemed like Carpenter meets Verhoeven. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. Pardon? <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> Give it to me now. Come again? I couldn't get anybody to see it. This is what I was talking about. Yeah, really. yeah, this is yeah, the time yeah. where it's like, okay, guys, let's go see the movie. And everybody was like, that movie looks like total dog shit, Adam. Sure. We're not going with you. So I missed it. But, and also, I think when you're watching it, it it does sort of have that sheen of like straight to video boy movie. It's very digital. It's very garbage crime. Yeah, you know? it's it looks yeah, it's it's shot in a way that's very dirty yes. and, and unrefined. Works so perfectly for me. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I get like on on first glance, especially with the opening title where the fucking title just explodes on the screen. You're like, what is this? I'll tell you what, though, if you were 12 when this movie came out and you'd like wanted to take your friends to see it then and sneak in, you know, buy a ticket to like the Care Bears movie. For a 12-year-old to watch this movie? No, but that would have been the type (laughs) of movie where you would have been like, hell yeah, Dread looks sick, you know? Well, so I... But that's not what the movie is in a very weird way. No. I but this is the thing I was I got to the point where it's like everything I was hearing about it was just sort of sealing the deal for me I was so confident that I would love the movie that I just decided you know what I'm acting on a whim here when it was released on blu-ray I bought the movie whoa whoa I just bought it that's unusual and one of the best decisions I ever made wow it's it's not the best movie on this list but um, by far my favorite movie uh-huh. It's a very important Another like Film for me That just made me go like Yes baby Fuck yeah Like we need more Action movies like this mm-hmm. I don't care If the premise is like The Raid It just fu- It's the just, same movie It just fucking Well I mean It's, <laughs> it's the same fucking you know, movie. Raid's more of a horror movie I rewatched it I was like Yeah, yeah. it does kind of Play more like a horror movie But yeah. but this like it, You know It's like It's it's a, it's this Beautiful blending of other movies. It's like it's Midnight Run meets a little bit of Blade Runner, a little bit of RoboCop. There's a lot of RoboCop. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a there's a touch, a tiniest drop of A Clockwork Orange in there, uh-huh. um, and just all these a little bit of Akira. It's just everything about this movie is just this wonderful cocktail of <laughs> of drug infused madness. Yes, and it's a treat. It's just a treat of a movie. It's just a jam. That's not- so goddamn entertaining. It's I, I I couldn't believe how entertaining this movie was when I first saw it. And I was just like, again, just like, because when you see those trailers, they're, they're absolute dog shit. Yes. And one of my favorite things about this movie, too, I have done this movie constantly for movie nights. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that are not cinephiles whatsoever. Yeah. And this one is always a hit. Uh-huh. Every single time. It has not failed. Yeah. Uh, it's more obviously more for the boys. But I mean, come, definitely. come on. <laughs> but it's such a for the boy. It's such a guy movie. It's such a guy movie. But you know what I mean. Yeah, but, no, I do. And yes, it's it's just this wonderful thing that you just bring to people. It's like, guys, I know I know we got done watching. Uh, I, I don't know. What was the latest? Whatever the latest like like Oscar movie you want to watch is. But let's just chill back and watch Dread. Yes. And this is why it has endeared so much as a cult film. We have joked in this on this podcast before. We've mentioned movies that come out of the gate a cult film. Well, that's literally what happened with this movie. Yes, because it was such a bomb, and people recognized that it was bomb, and they were frustrated that it was a bomb, and then everyone just adopted it. It did tremendously well for Blu-ray sales, yes. like an incredible hit on home video. One of the last like home video releases that like made a killing mm-hmm. for this very reason. And yeah, to in by my estimates. Probably the cult film of the 2010s feels that way to me anyway, certainly among cinephiles. Uh, And yeah, man, I mean, I could talk for hours just about how this thing works for me as an action movie, how I just love the aesthetic, how I'm this is an example I point to when I say I don't always need a lot of world building. Oh, my God. It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is it's like, guys, I don't I mean, I love that stuff, but I don't always need it. Like sometimes in the case of like Mad Max, in the case of Dread, you can have an enormous world to play around with. But you tell a very straightforward story and it's deceptively smart. 
Yes. It's it's much smarter than people give it credit for on first viewing. Well, that was one of the criticisms when it came out is yes. that the movie kind of missed a lot of the subtext of the comic where it's like the, the sort of fascist cops, the sort of satirical <laughs> elements about government overreach, judge, jury, executioner. But I was... I, I, I see, I think they're there. I just yeah. don't think that the movie calls that much attention to it, which is what is so refreshing about it all. Oh, I completely agree. That, yeah. that was the thing that I was most struck by. But to me, I saw it like pretty quickly just with the vibrancy of it all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know that, 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 that I've seen, I've read one Judge Dredd comic when I was in England, actually. I, I, I thought I hadn't, but then I recalled that I, I actually did. And those comics are very silly and very over the top and they, they, they go into territories that, that are strange. So this isn't like, you know, the, the same, it's, it's obviously not like a literal interpretation of the, of the source material, but it gets at a lot of the essence of what those, those, uh, stories are about. Mm-hmm. Certainly with the Dredd character. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I love everything it pulls, and I kind of love all the the commentary that's that's there, and discussing it with people's fun. Yeah. I think it's actually kind of a salient movie in a lot of areas in in regards to like talking about the way the law works and, uh-huh. and what is right, what is wrong. I mean, the the final line of the movie, you know, when he's when I, I've said this on the other podcast when we did the remake pod, the uh-huh. famous remake pod, yes. uh, with Tat Winner remake pod. By the way, that's correct. <laughs> More awards than Dread picked up in 2012. Very true. Right now. But I said like there, there is something just so perfect about the screenwriting and how it builds to that line of she's a pass and what that means for the Dread character, uh-huh. what it also means for the Anderson character. Yeah. And I just love that notion that the law and, and justice are two very different things. And it's important to kind of reckon with that so that you can settle it for something that's actually right. Yes. Um, it's the entire movie builds to this one important notion that you didn't know you needed to be reminded of. And that's part of the reason why I love it so much. Let's talk about the world building for a second. I'm going to say similar things about Looper, although I believe it more here than I do in the case of Looper. There is a brief bit of narration at the beginning mm-hmm. with the obligatory title cards and like pictures of maps to explain where this is happening in the world. And sure. you you understand right away like they have built a mega city from Boston to Washington, D.C., and that is the entirety of the United States in this post-apocalyptic future. <laughs> And they say that, and it's easy to understand. There's not too much detail, like at the beginning of Dune or whatever, and they just, and they they go. Yep. And there are details in there, like Anderson's friends in the building that she is forced to kill, you know, her past that she's forced to reckon with. Uh, You know, Dread obviously has a relationship to the crooked cops in this movie that is briefly hinted at, but like not really delved into. I don't need a line of dialogue explaining it. I just need you to do the thing. And I, you can imply all of the backstory. No one gives a fuck, man. Just like start the movie, sprinkle in the details as it goes along, but keep it super damn simple. And there are just no action movies like Like that anymore. No, you know, there are some foreign films, obviously like, like the raid is an example of it. And a lot of Korean cinema, you have like very like high concept, simple, just like guy in a tower, yeah. diehard style movies. And that's kind of what this is. And, you know, there's Ed fucking love it. A guy in a tower movie said every single movie in a tower. Right. Um, but like you could put it in a sci fi context. You can put mm-hmm. the slow mo drug. You know, you can 
you can sort of hint at sort of Dredd's tortured past and the relationship to the, that he has to these people. The movie does that, though, where it gets into with Anderson very quickly. The movie goes out of its way to tell you this is the movie we're in where she's like, you know, I can feel anger and control, but there's something else, something almost. OK, Anderson, that's enough. Yes. And we're done. And you do have like a brief flashback with Anderson and like the trauma that she experienced. But. No, those aren't. That's not what those scenes are, really. Those are uh, imagined rape scenes that you're thinking of. Oh, of the guy just being like, "What if I did this to you?" Oh, yeah, okay. I guess that's right. They're not actually flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's so effortless. The script is so effortless, and this should be the blueprint for every franchise building sci-fi adventure but of course it won't be because this movie didn't make money and the you know the amazing spider-man 3 or whatever the hell that movie is called just broke all sorts of records yeah, i know people like big worlds i like big worlds with small stories set in them i guess i like both yeah I, again this is another thing we have said this a thousand times on this pod i don't like making value judgments they can both work yeah but i but yeah, like like it, it. Since we're on the topic, yeah, don't don't shortchange this movie because it's not as big as you know fucking Dune, which is a film that I adored. But yeah, it's yeah. A, just because this movie isn't Dune doesn't make it a bad movie. Yeah. Um, it's just the little touches though. Like in the very beginning, where the guys are doing the slow mo and they say, "There's a judge on our tail. Take him out, or we're dead fucking meat." That already makes me go like, "What do you mean? He's just a cop, right?" And yeah. then they and then you know, oh god, no, that's how this world works. He's gonna fucking kill them just by discovering that they have guns, uh-huh. that they have drugs, that they should fight for the for their lives uh-huh. and then you start doing all this wonderful like filling in the blanks of how this world works particularly with the lena hetty character she's great in this great movie. in the movie she's so fucking good so good yeah the wonderful villain that's she's a monster but she's kind of sympathetic and you know exactly that she started from probably something fine yeah. but the world warped her into this monster yeah and then you she start- kind of models her like performance off of like 80s rock divas yeah, like yeah. benatar kind of thing like, <laughs> yeah I yeah see that. that's right it's 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 really just like an excellent haunting performance and but yeah, she's a great villain yeah. she's one of my favorite villains but like uh um and then just the notion of like like what happens with the other judges though and the corrupt judges and how like just how broken this world actually is and they don't hang on this very no often. it's just there but yeah exactly and it's 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 this idea like oh these guys are so loyal to the law but they'll crack if you give them a little bit of money. Yes. It's like, oh, that's the world we're living in. Oh, wonderful. And it just makes it makes you think of Fury Road again, how you get to the the scene with uh, Morton and Joe giving them the water, mm-hmm. and then he just cuts it off, and you know exactly how this world works with that yes. one little visual. Yeah. And the movie, this movie's filled with that shit. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really excellent. I really enjoyed it. It's the oh, you violence. Liked it. Yeah, the, <laughs> the the violence in it is so satisfying. So fucking yeah. I, I mean, some of it, I, you know. Like there's some skull trauma and flaying in this movie. Flaying, yes. Oh my goodness, there is some. It's intense, and the violence is kind of just there. It's another one of those things where Verhoeven style. It it is Verhoeven style, where the camera lingers on it, Mm -hmm. and like the anticipation leading up to, for example, when Lena Headey at the end of the movie is falling in slow motion, and then you get the point of view uh, shot, like Breaking Bad style, Mm. where you have her her face smashing onto the ground and you see the blood spurting out in vivid detail it's great i mean there's so much of that stuff in this movie but it's like candy violence if that makes sense there's something so like so vibrant and drug infused about it where again every even the wackiness in the movie feels so well integrated into everything those slow-mo sequences 
you know, I'm not a huge fan of slow-mo a lot in movies and I can't believe how well it works here. Yeah. How beautifully integrated it is and how they, they started from this notion that sometimes even in this world, all you can do is hope to try to make something beautiful. That was kind of Alex Garland's conceit. Uh-huh. So the slow-mo drug is the only method they have to do that. And <laughs> as upsetting as it is, the violence is kind of beautiful. Yes. <laughs> there is this odd beauty to it when the fucking bullet goes through the guy's mouth and oh, the, yeah. the cheek splits open and you can see teeth and yeah. it's just like, it's disgusting, but it's hypnotic at the same time. It is. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, yeah, the the falling sequences too. Yeah, also the so music good. design and that. The uh, music in this movie. It's so good. The only time I'm okay with like techno rock. Go yes. ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it it does have the aesthetic of movies that I hate. But I it, was worried it, you wouldn't like it. It pulls it together in a weird way. Like I I generally don't like this brand of grime. You know, mm. like I don't like this like emo boy sort of Maybe true. that's not even the it's right not term. Emo, but it's it's edgy. It's Metal Gear yeah. Solid maybe is the way of describing <laughs> it. Is that is that an appropriate reference? Um Is that an appropriate Metal Gear Solid <laughs> video game reference? It sounds like it makes sense. <laughs> Nico, I'm never going to try that again. Nico, I'm Ni- sorry, Nico. Let, let the professionals talk. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, let me just I stepped out of line. Let me just put it this way. <laughs> let me just put it this way. Makes makes too much sense to be Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> not weird enough to be Metal okay. Gear Solid. Not even fucking close. Okay. <laughs> Twisted Metal, maybe. Yeah, Twisted Metal. I'll give it to Twisted Metal. Anyway. I'll never try that again. I apologize. Uh, yeah, and and the script is just the key it's here. Really good. I mean, even like the mutant stuff isn't annoying. No, not at know? all. And that's a detail Subtle, that, though that you yeah. would think is going to be annoying. It's like, oh, we're adding a superhuman to it. Like it seems like unnecessary comic book world building, but I, like it it's it it makes perfect sense in this world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and her superpower helps the plot along. It it doesn't. It's not like this, just like distracting detail. No. It, um, yeah, I, everything I normally hate about movies, I really liked about this one. And I can't, yeah, no. Honestly, it's, it's a jam. It's one of those movies that you like kind of, that, and I maybe that's that's all it comes down to. Like when I said like it's always kind of a winner, there's just something intangible about it. Like it really does remind me of just like the comfort of watching RoboCop and mm-hmm. just knowing like every scene in this is just going to be a winner. Yes. And seriously, like every scene in this movie just works for me. Yeah. Y- you know, and again, in, in reference to just like a little more substantive stuff, like the relationship between Anderson and Dredd yeah. is so interesting to me. Yeah. And I just watch it for that to see their chemistry and see how they, it's the most unorthodox mentor relationship, how they're both kind of each other's mentor. Uh-huh. I just love that. I really Carl do. Urban's good in this too. I think Carl Orbit's low-key kind of great. Yeah, he's, he's good in this. And again, there's just so unpretentious. Yeah. Just the fact that he does not care. Like, And we've talked about this on the other pod, but the not removing of the helmet, which has been talked about a thousand times. But uh-huh. like the commitment to that to just be like, no, no, that's that's what this should be. I'm doing the man with no name. Go yeah, ahead. I'm, I'm going to be as mysterious as possible. But not like like in like a, like an identifiable character just like the way he turns the corner and he sees the minigun rolling and he's just like oh shit yeah. <laughs> then just starts running oh, that's the best. <laughs> i love that part so much oh the carnage in that scene too <laughs> i was wondering when you thought you i was wondering when you remember you left your helmet behind sir a helmet can interfere with my psychic abilities i think a bullet might interfere with them more yeah <laughs> it's just dry humor's the best man sometimes 
boys are just boys and it's fun when boys are boys you know let me enjoy my <laughs> my my candy let me enjoy, you know? let me have fun like now, power of the dog is good and all but like let the boys be boys but like it's great <laughs> like it's just, this movie's such a joy i don't know it's, yeah. it's, it is honestly for me one of the better action movies of the 2010s i really really do love it for for that alone uh-huh. uh but it does offer a lot more that i wasn't totally prepared for it and it just made it a thousand times better it's got it's got a great everything from the opening to it doesn't it doesn't uh, sag at all it's got a great finale it's got just enough to say without getting in its own way and that's very very important it's just right. it has something important to say without being pretentious right. and I love that Yeah. and I just love these characters and you know something it's just a fucking cool movie yes it's just really fucking cool yeah <laughs> I can't I, I can't get enough of it man uh, okay that's dread yeah uh, we need to move it along because it we are Almost an hour in, and we have talked about one out of five Oh, movies, Jesus. Okay. As we sometimes are so, want to do. Django. Django Unchained. <laughs> written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Kerry Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, and Leonardo DiCaprio. Winner of Best Supporting Actor for Christoph Waltz at the Oscars that year. It also got a Best Original Screenplay win. Uh, along with nominations for picture, cinematography, and sound editing. Big hit at the Oscars, as well as a big hit at the box office. $426 million worldwide. It's his highest grossing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, we don't know how good we had it. With the help of a German bounty hunter, a freed slave sets out to rescue his wife from a brutal plantation owner in Mississippi. <laughs> so where is this in your Tarantino rankings approximately? Three. Okay. Number three. Behind the first two? Uh, you know something? I might be there with you with Reservoir Dogs now. It might be my number one. Uh-huh. And then Pulp Fiction. And then uh, then this. And then I'm one of those weirdos that says Jackie Brown's four. Yeah. Jackie Brown rules. Yeah. But this movie rules too. It super rules. It's It's... It's the best. Yeah. It you see this movie and you are high off your ass while watching it for how fun it is with its writing and its characters and its setting and its style. Oh my god, it's its style. And if you're a film guy like like me, like at the time when you see this and you recognize a lot of the influences, it's just like I can't believe this is working so well. Yeah. This is the first one when he really goes balls to the wall with his ideas. Obviously Kill Bill has a lot of different genres in it. But though that that is a movie clearly about genre in that each uh, villain that she fights sort of exists in their own That's true. genre That's true. themselves. So the movie sort of shifts halfway through. It's kind of an anthology movie. It, it very much is an yeah, anthology oh, definitely, movie yeah. because there are chapters in it. Um, so it, And it's a movie that's also very clearly doing samurai stuff, doing black exploitation stuff, doing noir stuff. And... The camera will signify to you, okay, I am changing the channel now, and we're doing another genre. It becomes an anime at one point. <laughs> yeah, God's it, it literally becomes animated halfway <laughs> through, right? And there's so much kung fu, and right. So those are very clear referential points. Whereas this is a movie that its concept by itself mm. is its own mishmash of different genres. It's exploitation, It's there's hip-hop in there. There's there's obviously Western. The movie is a Western, but also there's Rick Ross music playing in yeah. the background. You know, um, there there's James Brown music. Right. This is the first time where I felt like, oh, he is he's taken it to another level here. Inglorious Bastards, I contend, is still the better movie. I think that script mm. is perfect. It's probably his best script. And like each scene 
plays like a perfect stage play. Um, but from a filmmaking perspective, that's what kind of my point here. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, this is really, and it, does it always work? No, but it, he, he's trying something here that no other director working would have the clout to do. Or, oh, they or, couldn't do, you could not do this movie now no. already. Yeah. But even then I was shocked that he was doing it and he got a lot of flack for it. Sure. Um, but I, I, I don't know, man. I do still think there's a there's a tremendous amount of respect in there. Yes. And it's like even even as as nasty as this movie can be, there is there is, you know, I don't know. I, there is a level of taste to it or, yeah. or, or well, reverence for for sure. Yes. It's it's a movie with a lot of bad taste. It's it, it often well, a, a tasteless movie. But that's the point. Th- right? That's my point. Like, yeah. it's it serves a very specific purpose. Yes, you know, it's it's bad taste in the service of good taste. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I know that this is in bad taste, but that makes it good taste. But he's making yeah. But he's making a very fine point about certain characters. It's a hard movie. movie to make, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, and listen, I. All right. So I'll I'll just read some of the criticisms, <laughs> just straight. And I. I I. I I truly believe I'm, I'm trying to see this from the point of view of the detractors. Okay. I always try to do that. I've always found these criticisms to be a little surface level and not really thought out because I think if you look at the structure of the movie and you look at how the Django character is portrayed as opposed to the other characters and how the ending sort of plays out, I, I think all the criticisms levied against it are in the words of Spike Lee, you know, American slavery was not a Sergio Leone spaghetti western. It was a holocaust. My ancestors are slaves stolen from Africa. I will honor them. He didn't like the fact that he that that uh, Tarantino sort of trivialized what's a very serious subject matter. They also didn't like the use of the N-word. There's a lot of N-word in this movie. I think it broke the record for most N-words in a movie. Django Unchained. Okay, I get it. I do think though it kind of holds up as you watch it as like, no, this is a serious reclamation Mm. of a genre that in the past completely discarded black people. Like, Oh no. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is a full on, like there's a lot of like really powerful poignant stuff going on here. And I think if you focus too much on like, Oh, they say the N word too much or Oh, like the Christoph Waltz guy's kind of a white savior. Like if you like, if you stick to that, you miss a lot of like really interesting commentary yeah, I yeah, yeah. here. I always thought it was making up for lost time, yeah, personally, and just how it, d- it does that, that exact thing that you're saying. Like, I think it's pretty sturdy. I think the script here is pretty sturdy, and sometimes Tarantino sure. can get a little sloppy. I, I I don't think that's the case here. Like, I can see obviously the N word in Pulp Fiction. That's something you watch it now where it's like, oh, doesn't really hold up. Here though, I don't know. I think it works. If you're gonna, I think it really works. If you're going to set it in a setting, it might as well be this. It does work for me. Yeah. This is a movie that doesn't, like, it's so long, but it doesn't feel fatty at all to me. So maybe that's why it works for, for you and I so much. Mm. Um, it's very I, long. I guess if I'm to say anything, you do, when a movie has multiple endings, and this one kind of does, you do start to feel the length. So by by the time he's riding back to the ranch after he's blown up Tarantino himself, yeah, the Australian Tarantino scene is not good. Doesn't work. Not yeah. good. Yeah, it's. I don't. I don't get why he made that decision either. But. Quite bad. I, I've. N- I have not heard a good explanation. No, for that scene. I'd no. love. To, I'd love to hear. I haven't heard Tarantino's explanation for it. But yeah. I'm sure he. Even he at this point might have been like, eh. Yeah. Someone else. Yeah. <laughs> someone else for that role. No, it should have been a deleted scene. Yeah, I, I mean that is when you watch it. It's like, oh, this is supposed to be on the DVD special features. <laughs> you know. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's it. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, but no, like, I, I think here's what Sam Jackson said in response to Spike Lee. Django Unchained was a harder and more detailed exploration of what the slavery experience was than 12 Years a Slave. But director Steve McQueen is an artist, and since he's respected for making supposedly art films, it's held to higher esteem than Django, because that was basically a black exploitation movie. Now, I don't want to throw too much shade on 12 Years a Slave, which I think is a brilliant movie. I was going to say, right. I will back up on you a little bit. I know, I would have used a different example. But. Yeah, <laughs> let's relax, yeah. okay? Uh, that being said, like, yeah, why not? I mean, w- w- like, why does every story need to be told in a specific genre fashion. Why can't you use cheap art in order to tell a greater story? This one's using hyperbole all the time, though. Yeah. That's what I'm okay with. It's using the hyperbole to make a very strong point about the the, the horrors of slavery or sort of the nature of it. And certainly the, the degradation of, of, of humanity with the with like the um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio character and the people he surrounds himself with. Honestly, honestly, the scenes where he's talking with, with his, his cohorts about why this is all justified is really disgusting mm-hmm. and it's it's often quite tough to watch and if that doesn't land for you i don't know what to tell you yeah like i, I don't know like it, it, you can make the color purple you can that's make, a, that's got its own issues too yeah though, I for mean, similar reasons yeah it, you can make the oscar bait version of this movie the issues movie and uh yeah i mean we know what we're getting and, and you can get awards for it and you can get standing ovations at sundance and fine but I, like I don't know. Like, why not make it a spaghetti western? Like, would you put it this way? Would you rather have a spaghetti western with no ideas? Would no, you rather have a spaghetti western that doesn't deal with race, that doesn't deal with slavery? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Tarantino calls this movie a southern. He said this was the, the, he's inventing a whole genre. You know, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do the spaghetti western, but we're going to reckon with the the, the past. And the, the horrible nature of slavery, you know? I don't like that he's saying he's inventing a genre because he didn't do that. No. But, <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I've always found these criticisms to be a little surface level. I think you watch this movie again and it still fucking holds up. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it is the end of this movie, the triumph that Django experiences mm. where he's able to ride away on a horse with, with his lovely bride. I do think that's, like, kind of an emotionally poignant moment. I think if, like, you, you buy into this movie... um. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think that the social commentary is is like, uh, you know, one dimensional or not well thought out. Like, I, I don't know. No, I agree. It's it's plenty thought out. I, mean, I think it's put it this way. I think it's a not only a great entertaining blockbuster, yeah, but yeah, a good yeah. Oscar movie, too. I guess that's what I'm trying well, to say. Well, more Oscar movie than they're giving it credit for. That's for sure. That, yeah. With all the ideas it's reckoning with and how well it talks about them. Yeah, I, don't, I obviously it would be. Yeah. But it's just the approach is so lurid sometimes and hard to deal with. But, you know, it reminds me of, again, I can't believe I'm quoting Fury Road again. But Fury Road is another movie where the ideas are very Oscar-y. Yes. But the approach is so out there. And sometimes that's hard to to, to square. Yes. And that's kind of what happened here, I would say. Yeah. Uh Obviously, a lot of comparisons to Sergio Leone, but the uh, the main sort of inspiration for this was Sergio Corbucci, mm-hmm. who uh, did the movie Django. Same song, too, if you've seen yeah. that. Yeah, uh, there's actually a documentary about the Django Unchained versus the original Django. It is called Django and Django on Netflix. Oh. I watched it uh, last week. It's, really? it's interesting. Okay. Um, Franco Nero's in this one too. It makes a little cameo. Franco Nero makes an appearance. Um, but I guess at the time Tarantino was writing a book about Sergio Corbucci when he sort of 
got to thinking about this idea and uh, really kickstarts an era of his career where now he basically only makes westerns uh you know once upon a time in hollywood is a is a hollywood hangout movie but it, it definitely has a western influence and the star of that movie that's true is yeah. a western star uh hateful eight obviously very explicitly a western um he was always sort of chasing the western genre but i don't think he had the clout to make a Actually pure done. western until this point in his career uh and yeah i hope he just makes movies like this for 30 years sure well, th- this is the one thing you could you, that I think some people may have come come out with is that this is perhaps for me the one where you you could make the argument this is where Tarantino becomes almost a parody of himself. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a little bit of that there. If you wanted to make that argument, I would see where you're coming from. Because it's of smash zooms. It's very Tarantino. A lot of squibs. Al- almost hilariously Tarantino. Yes. yes. So that that's the one thing. It's like, yeah, I get it. And even with the way it's written, that type of dialogue and how just hyper stylized it is and long very much so. It's just like, yeah, yeah, okay. If you if you're put it this way, if you're not a fan of Tarantino, you will fucking hate this movie. He found the people to properly articulate his words, though. That's true. That's what I will yeah. say. And I'll say this: I, I everyone loves Hans Landa, and so do I. But yeah, this is my favorite. Oh, uh, you like this Kristoff better? I actually do. Yeah. Yeah, I think I disagree with that. That's yeah, I get that. But he's great in this. Yes, he is. Kerry Washington's really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually spent some time in that hot box. Is that right? Yes. Why did she do that? Method Man. That's a dumb idea. She did that. It's it's a very bad idea. And apparently like that whip that was was used was a fake whip, but it it was used on her back when she was whipped. She wanted to get really method with this. I don't like that. Uh, she's great. Sam Jackson is good. I think. Do you like Sam Jackson? In this? You think? <laughs> it's this amazing blend where it's like, is he integrated into the character or is it shtick? I can't quite tell. Right. I don't really care. Hundred percent. And I will say this: until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, this was my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio performance. Oh God! Yeah, I yes. think he is magnificent in this. Yes, he is. I, like this is. I, I, we were talking about this with Bonfire of the Vanities, <laughs> and why is this a thing? Last week, casting Tom Hanks as the unlikable lead is destined to fail. But if you have a good director who knows how to cast, you can sort of invert the tropes of or the, sort of the persona of the actor in order to elevate the performance and that's what's happening here he he uses leo in the perfect way that's completely opposite his like yeah you know beautiful nice boy persona by ugling him up and making him just this reprehensible plant just the most evil probably the most evil person in all of his movies yeah probably you know but he has to be that it kind of has to be someone like leo to buy this role to buy this type of stature for a character like this this kind of like young smarmy but like somewhat charming uh uh plantation owner who's just completely up his own ass uh i don't think it's out of the realm like like leo is crazy (laughs) <laughs> right so and he's he's angry like he he's he's very good at yelling um yeah. so i've i've when i saw it i thought it was a brilliant idea because i was like yeah i can see that 
Yeah. And I see, I can think I can see how he's going to do it. Yeah. And yeah, I was thoroughly blown away by him. It's still kind of one of my favorite performances that he's done, but you're actually right about that. I think once upon a time in Hollywood's his best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here are the other people considered for the role of Django. Tell me if they would have worked more than Jamie Foxx. Idris Elba. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, boy. I don't know. I say yes. He could have worked, yeah. Chris Tucker. <laughs> I'd like to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say no on that. <laughs> Terrence Howard. No. Yeah, not as well. No, not quite. Not, not, not quite. Don't think he really has the stature. I, I do like Idris Elba is the one right now where I'm like, ooh, maybe. Michael Kenneth Williams. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Give me that movie. Yeah, probably. Hell yeah. Michael Kenneth Williams would have been great. Tyrese Gibson. Too much shtick. Yeah. No thanks. And then uh, this is a well-known fun fact now, but uh, the role was written with Will Smith in mind. Will Smith turned this thing down. I don't think it would have been that bad. Some people really back up on this. I'd be curious. Yeah, I'm. I'm. But I would have liked to seen like the test footage, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree yeah. with that. Maybe, maybe. But Idris Elba was the one where I'm like, ooh, I might go for that. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's Django. Very good movie. Very good movie. Very good. Moving on. Let's get to what I think is the most underrated movie on this list. Zero Dark Thirty. Really underrated. Yeah. I a lot of people back up on this now in 2022. Yeah, directed by Catherine Bigelow, starring Jessica Chastain, Joel Edgerton, Chris Pratt, Jason Clark, and James Gandolfini. Oh, that's right. Oh, wow. As the FBI director, CIA director. CIA. Fuck, forgot about that. Winner of Best Sound Editing at the Academy Awards, also got a Best Picture Actress, Original Screenplay, and Film Editing nomination. A chronicle of the decade-long hunt for Al-Qaeda terrorist leader Osama bin Laden after the September 2001 attacks and his death at the hands of the Navy SEALs uh, in May 2011. Another big hit. Grossed $132 million worldwide. Uh, Timing was so utterly perfect for this movie. It was insane. Uh, Another, I I think, uh, a bit of uh, Hollywood legend that is frequently repeated. This is a movie that was supposed to be written about the unsuccessful hunt for Osama bin Laden. Then they were about to start production and Obama, the Obama administration, uh, announced that Osama bin Laden had been killed. Yes. And uh, so they had to rewrite basically the whole movie, uh, change the ending entirely. Um, And yeah, the movie came out like a year later. I think is uh, best remembered now for the Amy Poehler joke at the 2013 Golden Globes, where she said, I haven't really been following the controversy over Zero Dark Thirty, but when it comes to torture, I trust the lady who spent three years married to James Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> the torture stuff. What do you think about the torture stuff? Let's get that out of the way, and then we'll talk about the, uh, the, the, the actual meat and bones, meat and potatoes. I mean, my feelings on it are a little controversial, I would I would think, because yeah. when when I saw the movie, I always thought the torture stuff was very, very disturbing. Right. And I still believe it's very disturbing. Yes. I understand, like, yes, like the the, the torture scenes do lead to answers for our characters. Uh, but like, I don't know. I was willing to square square the, the thought that, OK, like 
doing the thing is not the director's thinking that it was a good thing. Depiction is not yeah, depiction endorsement. Is, yeah. And it's not endorsement. And yeah. I thought like, as long as you can be honest and you know, also, which, which I think that's all it's doing to me. It feels fairly honest to me. It's, it's like, yeah, they, I'm sure they got their answers, but I'm sure it was really fucked up. And that's kind of what it feels like to me. So, so I, the, the, there was a, a Senate intelligence committee investigation in 2014 that was documented in the Adam Driver film, The Report, mm-hmm. which came out in 2019, which in many ways is a direct response to Zero Dark Thirty. Okay. Like they actually show a character watching Zero Dark Thirty in the movie, The Report. Really? Yes. Okay. It is that obvious, you know? Uh, and the findings of that investigation were that none of the intelligence that led to the assassination of Osama bin Laden was the result of torture. Okay. 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 So that turned out to just be a total fabrication for the script or that it was in the script somehow and it never got taken out when it was rewritten, you know, at the be- at the end of 2011, beginning of 2012. Now, here's my argument. And I think we're sort of saying the same thing. Torture is bad even if it doesn't work. Yeah. So the fact that it works in the movie is not necessarily an endorsement of it. Yes. You know what I, I mean? Agree. Yeah. That's like, it, the torture's bad because you shouldn't torture people. Yes. You particularly <laughs> shouldn't torture innocent people. A lot of fucking innocent people were just tortured after 9 11 because I'm, I'm we not, changed the laws. I'm not woohooing at the screen when they rip the guy's fucking trousers off, okay? Right. It's, it's really uncomfortable. So, I, I think the idea <laughs> that it works in the movie, okay, it, even if it does work, that doesn't mean that what they did was right to you know it's how does it feel though that's what i can say like how does it feel right that's the larger question it feels so wrong it feels so disgusting as well i'm just like i yeah i I don't know like yeah sure and also like it's a it's a movie and movies had to have a tendency to you know blow things up for dramatic effect and it's not it's not uncommon for a movie to like again make these industries look like shit yes you know even if it's not true Right. And it's so weird. I think the Justice Department came out and said, listen, we saw the movie. We didn't do any of that, (laughs) which is like so rare. Like the CIA is like is like, you know, or maybe they did. Maybe they I guess maybe they did. But it's very rare for the CIA to comment on the content of a movie and say these were explicitly not our methods. You know, we did not do like. We did not torture people. We just want to make it very clear. We we did torture people. We tortured a lot of fucking people. But we did not torture people uh, in the interest of catching Osama bin Laden, or at least none of those tactics ended up working. <laughs> you know. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just weird that you would include the detail for no fucking reason. It's weird that you would add the lie in there. Like it's one thing if there was a detail that was misconstrued, or if oh. it, it, you know. It's a weird detail to add on. Is it the public opinion of it? Because I, I imagine a lot of people would probably, they'd let their imagination run into that direction, you know, mm. or down that path rather. Yeah. So I get that. And I like I said before, I get like wanting to make these people not look totally good about the whole thing. Yes. But listen, but, I, I agree though. Like the torture sequences are disturbing. Yes. It's not like Jack Bauer in 24 no. waterboarding a terrorist and we cheer because he diffuses the bomb in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that 24 was on the air for 10 years and it was just like a complete, just like torture propaganda the entire time. Uh, th- this is not that. Like, I, like I, those scenes are disturbing and quite harrowing. And like, although they're effective, like 
you don't enjoy seeing the sausage get made. You no, know? no, no. And the most dead giveaway as someone who's, you know, who's, who, you know, dabbles in filmmaking is the shot where the guy's clutching the bottle. And right. He's just kind of like taking it away and you hear the, the crunkling. That's like a very like cinema verite move to do where you focus on something <laughs> super vulnerable and intimate and where it's trying to make you feel bad for the guy. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's right there. I'm like, yeah, I feel bad for the guy for that, for that one little detail alone, mm. you know? Yeah, I, now the argument at the time, Glenn Greenwald, who uh, who knows what you think of him these days, but at the time his argument against Osama bin Laden, uh, or, I'm sorry, against the torture sequences in the interest of capturing Osama bin Laden is that killing Osama bin Laden was seen as a universal good. Mm. So therefore anything that led to the achievement of that universal good is also seen as good. You know, it's not like people that that support torture don't know that torture sucks. That's why they support torture. Doesn't- does the movie explicitly make the argument against that, though? Yeah, I don't know. Especially with that ending with Jessica Chastain and the AC-130? Right. Well, like, it's like, it's not really like a triumphant ending. It's sad. It's, it's like, what it's now? Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the what, it's thank the graduate you. ending. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know. I agree. Her entire 10 years of her life is just been this thing, and now it's done. What the fuck do I do? Yeah. It's a great movie. Yes. Now let's talk about the it's actual It's a fucking movie. great movie. This movie fucking rules. <laughs> it's Catherine Bigelow's best movie. There, there it is. I agree. There it is. I agree. It, it's sorry, point break. Speaking of which, I just saw Near Dark and it was also very good. Yeah. Uh, I saw a few movies, but yeah, not as not as good as this. The, uh, <laughs> the, the raid. Oh, the raid scene. The Bin Laden compound. I, How they drew that thing up in like three weeks, I will never know. That thing is one of the... Oh, God. One of the most incredible cinematic moments in a theater I've ever had. Yes. Seriously. Yes. Seriously. Yeah. I don't think I saw it in a theater. I think I saw it... Well, maybe I did. Dude, no, I don't know. I didn't breathe. I like held my breath all, the whole time. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, It's a like really awesome process movie. Mm. And that's... Some people don't like that, though. I, I, yes, I, I right. That, to me, though, is the difference between Hurt Locker and this, though. Hurt Locker is very cinema verite, fly mm. on the wall, just like the day in the life of a bomb diffuser. And that could be your thing. And it's sort of just, mm. you know, it stumbles around. It's got a very loose plot. There's no yeah. real script there. Um, it's mostly built on action sequences. And also, like, the filmmaking, there's a lot of shaky cam. There's a lot of, you know, what we now consider to be the modern war movie. Uh, that's very much what Hurt Locker is. Yeah. You know, it's on the ground, in your face, a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, you could be blown up at any second. Whereas this one is a lot steadier. It takes its time. It's a lot more methodical. You deal with the political side of things. And there is a much clearer direct. A trajectory of like beginning middle and end mm-hmm. and i think that's what i appreciate most about it is that it works on like a lot of different levels yeah. it's not just pure viscera but when it's time to get visceral we get fucking visceral because she's good at that and, and she proves once again why she's one of the great action directors living i mean it's truly amazing stuff here yeah and it's scary it's like scary even in scenes where you don't think it's scary yeah you know? I, I i love to death too when uh they get to the the section where they're just having a fucking dinner in a hotel and then it just blows up. Yeah. That is one of the biggest jumps I've ever had seeing a movie. Swear to God. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Uh, what has she done since this? Det- Chicago or Detroit. Detroit? Detroit, Chicago. Detroit, yeah. Which is very good. But yeah, it's. I don't think she's... Did that movie kill it for her? Because it was a bomb. It's weird that it was a bomb. It was a good movie. but huh. maybe, maybe people are still butthurt about Zero Dark Thirty. 
Why? I don't really? Know. I don't know. Maybe I get they like see it, it as problematic. It's long. I get it, and yeah, the procedural stuff is not for everybody. Because of these movies, this is the one that is you know aged the worst in people's minds. I still think it's a great movie, but people have sort of let go of this one. I find that so strange because yeah, when I saw it, I was with buddies, and it was great. We yeah. all sort of recognize that that was a really really awesome movie, but I don't I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a shame that. That Bigelow, well, I get. You know, here's the the real problem, is that they don't make Catherine Bigelow movies anymore. Like K nine, the the what is it? K two nine, K nine, the Widowmaker, K nineteen, K nineteen, the Widowmaker, Near Dark, Point Break. That is just not the type of like adult action movie that gets made anymore. And like after winning her Oscar, she should have had the power to make 10 more. I mean, think about how many guys win Oscars, like, and how many fucking second chances like Tom Hooper gets, you know? Eh, he might be in the doghouse, though. Maybe, but, like, Bigelow wins for Hurt Locker and two movies? There have been two movies after Hurt Locker since she won? It's crazy. Yeah, that is true. Not not so much, yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. Yeah. She's great. This, yeah, movie, she- this movie rocks. Yes, uh, it does. A lot of, like... Those guys, like the Joel Edgerton, Chris, Chris Pratt, Pratt, yeah, yeah, all those guys sort of show up as Navy SEALs, and you Mark can't really, Strong, Mark Strong's yeah. there, and you can't really tell the difference between either of them when we were watching the movie then, but then you see it now, and it's like, oh, that's Chris Pratt. But they, they got were, they got in shape for this freaking movie. Though. They look like SEALs too. They did those guys. Jesus Christ, they're scary. And yeah. this is the first time that I saw Jessica Chastain ah in a film, and she's great. What about the help? Second time I saw Jessica Chastain. <laughs> I gotcha. In a film. <laughs> but you didn't know it was Jessica Chastain. No. Yeah. This one, I'm like, yeah. Holy crap. I thought the same thing. Yeah. This is a great performance. Yes. Probably. Oh, no. I take that back. What? Never mind. What? What were you going to say? <laughs> Molly's game? No. This one's better. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but. To first of all, she carries a movie that is very masculine. Yeah, very I thought dark, the same thing. Yeah. But she does it with like this incredible energy and charisma, and she's also super sexy throughout <laughs> the whole thing. Just like one of those movies where it's like, oh, this chick, total command, movie star. Yeah, don't yeah. know what happened. It really is like kind of the star making role for her, though. Yeah, because yeah, it was not the help. Yeah, really. I mean, she's really good in that. But like, no, this is this is the one that showed she, again shows that she can kind of you know. Carry an entire movie. It's amazing that she's able to do is everything she's able to do in this one. Mm. Even my dad, you know, it's not traditionally a movie that he would be as into, but he loves her in this movie. Yeah, yeah, she carries this thing. Yes, it rocks. Yes, it's quit hating haters. We're three movies in a row that just kind of like they they slap. Kind of cool. Look at that. Well, those were the three movies that you nominated. Yes. Now they are. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we get to the three that I nominated. Okay. Uh, do I have the energy to pick fights with you from here on out? I'm not going to throw a hissy fit about this one. Okay. But let's talk. <laughs> Looper. Written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis, Emily Blunt, and Paul Dano. In 2074, when the mob wants to get rid of someone, the target is sent into the past, where a hired gun awaits someone like Joe, who one day learns the mob wants to, quote, close the loop by sending back Joe's future self for assassination. Yeah. 176 million on a 30 million dollar budget was its gross. 
Another good? big hit. Pretty good. Man, these numbers are insane now. <laughs> you look at these numbers, it's like, holy crap. Yep. Tenant couldn't break 20 million. <laughs> uh, all right. I saw this movie in the theater with my buddies. It's one of those movies. I remember exactly who was there. I remember where in the theater I sat. I remember what trailers were playing. I remember what we talked about afterwards. Huh? This movie at the time blew me the fuck away. Huh? I adore it. I adore it so much. Maybe it's sort of the similar thing I was saying about Dread. It felt so small and contained for a sci-fi time travel movie. And Ryan Johnson stated that that was sort of his intention making this thing. You know, you can make a movie like Primer, which is like a real sort of mystery box. You're trying to piece together exactly what's happening. It's kind of a satire of time travel movies, though. It is. But the time travel is the point. Whereas yeah, time yeah, travel yeah. isn't really the point here. Time no. travel is just an element of the world that's being built. And again, there's some narration at the beginning, but then it's quickly dispersed with. I understand that is one of the criticisms of the movie is that the time travel doesn't make much sense. There's a lot of plot holes. You can pick it to, to, yeah. to you pick it apart. And wh- why is this kid like a, a psychic that can like blow up houses? <laughs> Whatever. I get it. I get it. But I just fucking love a great noir story. Yeah. yeah. And that's what this thing is. It is a noir, a badass noir character study before it is like a trippy world building time travel story not a trippy world building movie yes and that's what i like that is my particular taste when it comes to science fiction and i will not apologize sir <laughs> i will not apologize one of my favorite movies ever wow yeah that, that's high praise yeah jeez yeah i don't dislike the movie dude i've never disliked the movie i saw it um uh, I rented it from Netflix. It's one of those movies that came in the mail. I saw it. Um, it was, however, one of those movies that was unfortunately way overhyped for me. Uh. And I'd, I'd seen a lot of, you know, I, I like I love sci-fi, so I don't know. There's certain things about, about this one that weren't necessarily for me. But the way people were talking about it, I think I was expecting a lot more than what I ultimately got. Because... Mm. I just I just kind of was underwhelmed by it. I was like, oh, that was that was it. I think I expected it to be a little more fun than it was. Um, I expected it to be a little more visually distinct than it was. Um, you know, I mean, I know it's not about... See, I find it to be very visually distinct, though. Like, there are set pieces there, particularly where Paul Dano was losing his limbs. Okay, but besides that one is because everyone has talked about that one but like the only other shot I that really sticks with me is when um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like falling back and the camera's falling with him yeah it's that's a great shot but like that's not that much it's not a, like well, I, it's I, not showy but there's like a lot of set pieces that, like I love everything at the farm really I, I hate it I know it's one of the criticisms I find the I find, I, the, I, you, I find the, the as soon as he gets to the farm the movie just Falls right down. I, I love Emily Blunt in this movie. God, it's the worst thing about the movie. Yeah, it's it, it's in, that it, kid's fucking creepy, dude. I like that kid's energy. Why he's the, so creepy? Why the telekinesis in this movie? It just feels so forced and tacked on. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe. I guess I don't know. I like I I felt the same way as I did with Dread, where it's like it doesn't really bother me. It just kind of feels like it's in this world, and I don't need you to overexplain. You don't need to explain it, but just use it a little bit more than they do. Mm. You know, it's just kind of there. Dude, the shot of the guy getting blown up in the living room. It happens like you know, it's like three seconds long, and then they cut away. It's pretty good. Yeah, 
It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I I don't find this to be all that much fun. I think it's a little boring. And do you like the noir elements of it? Do you wish that it was more of I, like a straight sci-fi? Like, make is, it, is it kind of like the Blade Runner effect, no. where the narration kind of ruins it? No, 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 no. I mean, Blade Runner. I have totally different feelings on on Blade Runner. It's not. It's not even the narration so much. I am a little confused by the narration, given the fact that the character's dead. But <laughs> I, I, I mean, you can do this all day. Yeah. No. I, if, if you talk like this isn't that much of an issue when people talk about like the plot holes in this movie which there are an abundance i will say like ryan johnson says like like it's like terminator you, we set it up as a framework and then you get away from it but the movie doesn't it's a little disingenuous there are a lot of instances where the movie is asking me like not so much asking me but it presents a time travel idea and you can't help but think about it mm. like the scene the scene with paul dano and the his older self and his legs falling apart like that's a really chilling disturbing moment and like a great like artistic flourish too like that's I, a brilliant thing to think up for the screenplay yeah it's a it's cool as hell but if you think about it sure if you push a little further it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Like, like yeah. the guy, like, again, the guy should have f- disappeared, vanished out of thin air the moment he loses his legs. Because there's no physical way that 30 years from now, Paul Dan is going to be in the same spot. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, again, for the sake of the cinematic, like, moment, I'm, I, I give it a pass, though. And that's why the time travel plot holes, I... I I struggle to do it a lot in this movie, but I could, for the most part, I can do it. So at that point, I'm left with, okay, a noir action thriller. And just not that impressed by it. I think it's fine. I don't I think it's a well-made movie, you know? I mean, I mean, it's it's not, I don't think it's quite as clever as it thinks it is. Mm. I think that's maybe the thing. Like, you can really feel Ryan Johnson being like, ooh, look at this thing that I'm doing. When I'm like, dude, that was kind of dumb. Give yourself a, you know, like stop jerking yourself off, mm. you know? And like I said, the, the third act of it all with the farmhouse just doesn't work for me. Never really worked. And there's a few moments, too, where it's like, oh, time travel is or not time travel, but like murder is so hard to get away with in the future. But you're perfectly OK killing Bruce Willis's wife. So that's a little uh, stuff like that, like little things. And I'm like, you know, like think, think, think it over like one more pass, do one more draft and it would have been like flawless. But yeah, like, little, little things. Man, I, I just don't give a shit. I mean, yeah, I know. Like, you know, but, yeah. I, I, and I feel the same way now as I did in 2012. I didn't give a shit then. I, yeah. I just loved fucking Jogo and Bruce Willis sitting across the table from each other talking about life. That, you know, like I, I, I kind of liked the the literalization of, of face yourself. Yeah, so here's an old like, man telling this young jerk off to to grow up. The idea of the movie that like okay, it's about um, sometimes in, you need to take responsibility for yourself in order to make for a better future, even if that means admitting that you are the problem. It's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. Um, it's. I love the ending. I think the ending is like really. I know people are like, oh, they're just doing Terminator again or whatever. But I do take some issue with the ending because I think it lets him off the hook. Okay. I would have much rather it take the twelve monkeys approach and have Joseph Gordon-Levitt fail. Yeah. Basically, have uh, Bruce Willis kills the mom, and then Joseph Gordon-Levitt kills Bruce Willis, 
and then it seems like everything's okay. But then it, what, what, one of the things I might have done, I don't know how well this would have played, but you need to have like the little psychic kid use his abilities actually and like touch his forehead and shown what he could have done to make things better. And then shown like, yeah, th- the fact that you didn't kill yourself in this moment was the, the, the biggest, the biggest mistake, you know, hmm. stuff like that. The, the, I, I thought it, yeah, it would have, would have played it's a not little that kind of movie though. Like, I it's know, not that well, bleak. but it kind it's, of is, it's, it is fairly bleak and upsetting at times. I don't know. It's kind of sentimental though. <laughs> the last third of the movie is very sentimental, which is one well, yeah, of the things little, I like about it. At but. times, at times it's sentimental, but it's also really like gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not kid friendly by any means whatsoever. Like yeah. I thought it could have used a little more edge though, for that reason though, like that ending for me where he fails and then perhaps the kid shows him what he could have done better. And then the kid goes off to become the rainmaker and stuff like that. That would have been a little more compelling, you know, cause you're left with something more profound than just, all right, you know, the obligatory, you know, shoot yourself. And then that romance, like, I just, I don't know. I know it's a femme fatale element, but it was just kind of, I don't know. I know. It just seemed a little weak to me. I just don't like the farmhouse stuff, man. I just, mm. I just really don't like the farmhouse. And as I said in the group chat, let's um, talk about the makeup, the makeup. <laughs> I like the what makeup. You, what do you want from me? Bro? I think the makeup's good. You know, like, like tomato, tomato on this. It's, I'm not like, it's better than the Irishman fucking CGI. <laughs> I mean, oh, like, it's, I, I'd much rather have a practical prosthetic. Why did they need the prosthetic in the first place? I guess you don't need it. Like, like, okay, by that, it's like by that, by that, that, by that logic, okay, then why didn't, why wasn't Paul Dano wearing the old man makeup from his dude? You know? Yeah, no, fair enough. It's like, I don't need well, that. You, I, yeah, I, but they at least cast a guy that looked like old Paul Dano. <laughs> But I get it. I know it's I know it's him in the future for fuck's sake. Yeah, now right. just, I guess we're suspending disbelief throughout the whole movie. Yeah. We don't need to suspend it with the makeup. I guess I, it's not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie at all. It, like for stuff like that, it's like I'm not like the movie's fucking sucks because of this. Now no, it's like I just look at it, I'm like, yeah, you didn't need to do that. But mm. fine. And the movie continues on, and I I get used to it enough. But for a lot of it, especially when they're sitting across the room from each other, I'm just like. Nice makeup, bro. (laughs) Nice makeup. At least it's the last time Bruce Willis tried. And I've said that before, too. Like, one of the biggest praises I can give to this movie is that it's nice to see Bruce Willis actually giving a shit. I don't think he's great in the movie, but at least he's a character. At least he's not just fucking Bruce Willis. Uh So there is that. Yeah, I kind of want Ryan Johnson making more movies like this and not like five Knives Out sequels, which whatever, man. Um it's tough. Like Ryan Johnson has been, he's a difficult one for me to square as mm. of as of lately. Because mm. I think I like Knives Out a little bit more than this. Okay, yeah, they're very close though. I mean, to me, they're both good. What's movies, what's but- the best Ryan Johnson movie? Brick. Brick. Yeah, because it's so Ryan Johnson and it's so so, Ryan Johnson. so encapsulate. Oh, I, what a clever idea! But somehow, because <laughs> because Roger Ebert put it well, it's like this should not work as well as it does. Like it, like I, and he he was almost saying like I really shouldn't be giving this as high of a score of, as I am. But yeah, it just kind of works. I don't know what it is. And he, yeah, yeah. That, that that's the perfect distillation of everything Ryan Johnson is in that one movie. Right. It's a better noir. It's just a better noir. Fair enough. Yeah, you might be right where like Ryan Johnson is most clever when he's at a typewriter dreaming up the ideas and he's not as clever sort of visually when he's actually implementing it. He's not bad at it, but just doesn't like, like oh, what if Ray's parents weren't anybody <laughs> like that's a great idea. But like it's yeah. 
there are times where it's like when you actually start applying it, you see sort of the shortcomings of it narratively. That was always my problem. Right. And then like visually, there's only so much you can do with that. Although funny enough, you mentioned the Ray's parentage thing like that has one of my favorite visual moments in any Ryan Johnson film with the endless uh, line of Ray's. Yeah. She touches the glass. Uh That's a great moment. Yeah. You know, funny enough, that is probably his most visually distinct movie for me. The Last Jedi. Might be his best. No, not for me personally. Might might be up not, there for me. I don't know. Not for me personally. I don't know. Yeah. No, I think it's got to be Looper for me still. For me, it's yeah, it's Brick, Brick all the way. Brothers Bloom. Did you ever see that? Not yet. Kind of sucks. <laughs> kind of sucks. <laughs> kind of sucks. Wow, wow. No, that's just like that's a con man movie. Okay. Like, like I I think Brian Johnson is very interested in the same movies that I'm interested in. Yeah, that's fair. You know, so he's making noir, he's making whodunits, he's making, you know, con man movies. And, um, yeah, but he's, 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 he's definitely, he's one of those kids that's like, man, I just love the magic of the movies. Kind of like a Damien Chazelle kind of effect. That's true. Where he's, there's so much reverence for genre. And he's, oh, yeah. He's so earnest in his love for movies. Mm hmm. And there's none of like that cynicism. There's none of like that that hard edge yep. that a lot of like the great auteurs have. You know, Damien Ch- Giselle's just like I'm gonna make a Technicolor musical in the like umbrella of Shoreborg vein, uh, but I'm not really gonna say anything <laughs> about it. You know, I'm not really gonna bring any adult yeah, hard true. edge. Yeah, I I agree with that too. That's fair. Yeah. You see that when he has a he has a great little interview with Denis Villeneuve when 2049 came out, and they're just bickering the whole time about like, why did you get to shoot in London and I had to shoot in Budapest? You you were filming fucking Star Wars, yeah. and you you left me in Budapest to film Blade Runner, and it's I just know. really funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, there you go. Yeah. That's Looper. Yeah, he, it's it's a good movie. It's just not it's to- a good movie. It's, Nice impression. Uh, next, what do we have? Oh, mm, oh, Silver stop. Linings Playbook. Adam, stop it! Silver <laughs> Linings Playbook. Adam, <laughs> directed by David O. Russell, starring Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, Jackie Weaver. And Bobby D, Robert De Niro, should have won an Oscar. Was robbed, I tell you, robbed. (laughs) Winner of Best Actress at the Oscars, uh, nominated for Picture Actor, Supporting Actor, Supporting Actress, Directing, Adapted Screenplay, and Film Editing. $236 million worldwide. This thing grossed on a $20 million budget. Not bad. When David O. Russell was on top of the world, after a stint in a mental institution, former teacher Pat Solentano moves back in with his parents and tries to reconcile with his ex-wife. Things get more challenging when Pat meets Tiffany, a mysterious girl with problems of her own. Oh, my goodness. Does this girl have problems? Lots of problems. So many problems. Lots of problematic people in this movie. So many problems. (laughs) I make no apologies for saying this is one of my 20 favorite movies ever made. It's so goddamn electric. It's yeah. so goddamn sexy. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's off the wall. The energy is manic. Some <laughs> might say it's uncontrolled chaos. Yeah. I agree, sir. This movie's fucking nuts. So what? 
I love it for that very reason. It's a movie about troubled people in and out of therapy. Uh, you know, uh, degenerate gamblers with with uh, with, uh, with 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 uh, crazy superstitions <laughs> that that uh, get in fights at Philly games really takes Philly sports fans to task in this movie. Really hangs them out to dry. Holy shit! The Philly sports uh, shots are just delicious. Uh, <laughs> J Law, I've said this once, and I'll say it again. Her energy in this movie. Mm. I, here's a comparison that you may not have heard before. Nick Cage. She's got a real Nick Cage energy to her in this. Where you see her at first and it's like, I really don't buy that someone this young would be dating Bradley Cooper. And I don't buy that she would have had an ex-husband that died. And like, I, I like, and also she's really off the wall from scene to scene. Like she, <laughs> she's, the, the eyes where she go where she, uh, the, the, the scenes where she like opens her eyes she's bug-eyed and she goes I'm just a crazy bitch like where she does that yeah. you, you, you're she, doing the facial expressions now and it's she, actually she a perfect the, impression the mouth thing yeah. yeah the mouth thing it, those scenes it's like holy shit where did that come from obviously she's playing a bipolar person obviously Pat is an OCD person uh, I think it's the other way around no he's got a well she, I guess De Niro has more OCD yeah yeah because he they say non-diagnosed bipolar for Riley Cooper but she also has it too right she's got a little bit I don't know really what she has yeah but she's playing an idea more than she is a person a lot of the time and that to me is a very cagey element and when Cage does it he gets criticized when when J-Law does it she gets criticized too I am very much in favor of of this style of acting. Uh, very personal movie to me, obviously. Great gambling movie. Yeah. Uh, also, like the OCD stuff. It's good. It hits home for it's me, good. too. It's very personal in that way. I think I identified with it on that level uh, very did, early on, too. I'm astonished you said you hated it when you first saw it. It doesn't make any sense I just completely now. dismissed it. And... Uh, now I watch it. I cry every time. De Niro <laughs> says you have to run after her. I don't know if she's in love with you now but or before, but she's certainly not in love with you now. And uh, he chases after Tiffany and they, they kiss in the in the street. And it's, uh, I don't know, Adam, it's the best. It's the best. This movie's so good. There should be more movies like this made today. <laughs> There's not enough movies like this. It's a fucking nutso, kooky ass movie <laughs> it is a kooky fucking it's so movie. fucking kooky it's out there it's I, I love it yeah it's i i i will say i i i kind of blame this movie for you for the- <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah i i I'm not going to back up on this movie that much. Okay. Because I think I love it still. Good. I, I saw it and I loved it. Great. I have rewatched it over the years mm. many times, mm-hmm. actually. And every time it's on, I'm stuck. Yes. For an hour. Yeah. I watch yeah, every yeah. fucking time. Everything you just said works in the movie. I, I, I will say uh. um, well, the, the comment I, I realized because I watched it like like last month with Abby because mm. we watch this every once in a while. And I. I my takeaway with it on that viewing was, as much as I, I do love the movie, but I'm not sure I would have put it in my top 11 now, because it did just lose- Oh, it was in your top 11 was. of the decade? Yeah, yeah. I'm not brushing up on this movie that much. It was that high, huh? Yeah, I really loved it. Uh. it but like, like I said, on subsequent viewings, it was just like, like it's still really good, but it's the David O. Russell of it all. Mm. 
Mm. It's his voice. It's his. It's his OCD. Yeah. It's his editing style. It's yeah. his sort of flippant nature to a lot of some of these ideas. Um, and it just, I don't know. Maybe I just got a little bit older with with, with certain things, or I. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a pretentious asshole, but just something about the, the handling of some of these themes just bounced off of me a little more, a few, a few more times on, on this last viewing. And yeah, I was just like, yeah, it doesn't quite have the same sort of resonance. Mm. You know, it's not like I've seen it a hundred times, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, I because I remember when I saw it, I just loved the energy and I love, I love that voice too. And it got me into David O. Russell for a bit, but I will also admit I rewatched the fighter. I had a similar reaction. I haven't seen the fighter in a while. It's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. And, and I don't know, maybe it was, I felt it when I saw American Hustle, which is a good movie, but like similarly, there's just something. American Hustle is the one that gets dragged through the mud yeah, a lot it, these days. It shouldn't be dragged through the mud, but yeah. you know, it's not necessarily my favorite thing in the world, but yeah, it shouldn't be, you know, disposed of. I think at the time that came out either the same weekend or around the same time as Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, and there was a uh, big yeah. sort of American Hustle versus Wolf of Wall Street thing going on. And at the time I was on the side of American Hustle. And now I watch those movies back to back. And I'm like, okay, one is ripping off Martin Scorsese and one is actually made by Martin Scorsese. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think like American Hustle is just sort of Goodfellas karaoke. Yeah. yeah. Where, yeah. It's not, it's not bad. Yeah. But for those reasons, it just doesn't feel as special. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, it's this, it's, it's kind of starting, and I hate to say this, it's starting to fall in the Inglorious Bastards camp for me, where it's like, I admit it's a good movie, but I don't know why it's not quite working on me the same way it, it used to. Yeah. Even that ending, which is like, I understand, like, God, everyone must love that, but why am I not as affected by it as I used to be? It sucks. Well, when I was in high school and I saw it for the first time, I that ending pissed me off. No. Oh. It just, totally just, like, ugh, this is so contrived and sure. so stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. And, um. Yeah, now I watch it now and I'm just a sap. Again, I'm a, I'm a bigger sap now than I was then. Well, good though. Like yeah. all the power to you. I wish I yeah, I wish I still had that that, you know, that same love for that moment, I suppose. Yeah. But then there were some moments where I just thought, okay, yeah, that just doesn't work for me anymore. And it was like where she's listing off like how well the Giants and the Eagles were doing and all the and I just something about the that. scene with the bookie? Yeah. Oh, I love the bookie. I just like I forgot that guy's name. Yeah. It's like I, I, you've been ripping off my father for decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just something about her doing like like spouting these details that I was. Like, it is David O. Russell being like painting the girl of his dreams, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I give a fuck. It's just like <laughs> well, certain lines like that. I do like the idea of a parlay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, part of it could be my relationship with you has sort of damaged a lot of my feelings towards this movie because it is like, like you were, you, it's like Purple Rose of Cairo. I'm convinced you, you existed in this movie. And I just jumped, jumped right out. Right out. <laughs> I was one of his buddies in the mental institution. It is so grossly Nico. Like Chris Tucker, they let me out early. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good character. But he's really good. Like, I love Chris Tucker in this movie. Yeah, I love the Shea Wiggum as the brother is great in this, too. Yeah, yeah. Megadeth. <laughs> Just fucking go in the garage with my, the iPod. One of my favorite lines, I still quote it to this day, is like, what shirts are you going to wear? Deshaun Jackson? Yeah. Deshaun Jackson is Deman. This Deman. Well, that settles that. <laughs> Deshaun Jackson. 
Even I'm like, wow, this is old. <laughs> Here, I'll date the movie for you. You ready? In 2012, the NFL was critical of the gambling in the film and declined to broadcast an interview with Bradley Cooper and Chris Tucker during Thanksgiving. Oh, no. <laughs> now you put on a football game every other commercial, DraftKings and FanDuel. Yep. How times have changed in 10 years. They didn't get it. Uh, yeah, the, the gambling stuff is so good. But yeah, like I've, my family dynamic is just so similar. And the, the hidden weapon of De Niro in this, I think that's the other thing that gets unlocked mm, on a second and true. third viewing is how this is a father-son movie. It's yeah. not really a rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you sort of unlock that, oh, that's the moment where yeah. the, movie, the, the movie sort of hinges on. I wish you'd watch these games with me. Yeah, it's a good moment. That's great. De Niro is not just coasting in this. There's a no. lot of like late period De Niro where he just you know he just does his thing and goes home. But but he's fitted for this role very nicely, though. Yeah, I've always thought he's really good in this. Uh, who would you have given it to out of these five supporting actor nominees? Okay, Christoph for Django, Alan Arkin for Argo, De Niro for Silver Linings, Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master. Oh God, Tommy Lee Jones for Lincoln. It's a great list. It's an excellent list. Mm, it's a great list. It's almost too good. It's too good. Hoffman. I agree. <laughs> I agree. But God damn it, De Niro's good. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it, De Niro's good in this. Yeah. He is really great. Damn, give it this. Take the Texas Chainsaw, as Bong says, and s- cut that Oscar up. <laughs> Please. They all deserve it. Uh, maybe not Alan Arkin. No. He's, nah, he's, he's good. He's, he's, he's good. good. He's, yeah. he's okay. Yeah. He's good. I agree. Uh, all right, here we go. The, uh, the almost cast. <laughs> oh, God. In Silver Linings. What do we got? The role, the the two lead roles were originally written with the following two people in mind: Zoe Deschanel as Tiffany and Vince Vaughn as Pat. <laughs> what? I think it worked out for the best. Whoa, that's bad. I think it worked out for the best. Jeez Louise, what the? Fu- oh man. Two people were eventually cast in the roles, though, and had to drop out later on. Who were they? Those two people were Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Which, like... Eh, Not for this role. Just a worse version of this movie, I think. Yeah. And Anne Hathaway dropped out to do Dark Knight Rises. Mm, she could do it. I'm interested. She could do it. I'm interested. Yeah. yeah. I'm there. I'm in the theater. Nowhere near as sexy as those dancing scenes, though. Oh my god! Oh my god! Ugh! Jeez! When they're dancing, I fell in love with a girl. <laughs> At the end, <laughs> we go from my Sharia Moore to fell in love with a girl. I'll take the movie for that scene alone. I love the dance scene. Yeah, when they're, they're cheering great. when they all get fives. Oh my god! That is a, that is a wonderful moment. <laughs> I love it when she just and then the, the the big move where she just her her crotch lands right in his face. <laughs> Great little it's moment. A big move. It is a big. <laughs> we haven't nailed the big moves. It's not ready yet. I know, J Lo. You can nail that big move on me anytime. 
<laughs> that's silver linings. I feel like I've been talking about it on a podcast for the better part of eight yeah. years now. So I'm going to let if, that lay. If it's your inductee, it doesn't bother me either. I, okay. get, I get it. It's fine. Well, I'm happy to announce that it's getting in. Okay. Uh, <laughs> finally, The Master. The Master, Adam. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Amy Adams. Nominated for Best Actor, Supporting Actor, and Supporting Actress. Didn't get anything else. Got three acting nominations and nothing else. Wow. Well, I mean, okay. Okay. A naval veteran arrives home from war, unsettled and uncertain of his future until he is tantalized by the cause, in capital letters, and its charismatic leader. Uh, It was a flop. (laughs) No shit. $28 million on a $32 million budget. No shit. Critics liked it, but... Not that much. Obviously, the Oscars didn't give it much love. Uh, Part of that may be the Church of Scientology being very upset Mm. that PTA made a movie loosely based on their leader, L. Ron Hubbard. Loosely? Very loosely. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson describes uh, an encounter he had with his friend Tom Cruise. He screened the movie for TC. And Cruz erupted with anger, specifically objecting to scenes where Dodd's son, Val, admits that Dodd made up the tenets of the cause, Ah. which parallels real-life admissions of L. Ron Hubbard's son. Uh, So, yeah, there's a little bit of that in there. There's also a little bit of, like, John Steinbeck stuff, like naval stories. I think some Mm. of it is based on naval stories that Jason Robards told Paul really? Thomas Anderson on the set of Magnolia oh. uh, the the scene where they, they sort of siphon the ethanol from the tanks oh, God that yeah. was uh, specifically a Jason Robards story so there was some of that in there there was also some unused material from early drafts of there will be blood um, so yeah there, there's a lot of stuff in there but really this is the Scientology movie it's become the Scientology movie, that's for sure. Certainly reclaimed in popularity towards like end of decade list. Hot, it's on so many goddamn end of decade lists. For the, I don't know why, and this probably isn't that true, but it felt like Fury Road in this. Every time I heard a conversation about what's the best movie of this this era, and mm-hmm. it was like those two for some reason. Yes, um, you had never seen it though. Mm-mm. So I, walk me through what happened here. I feel like I've been famously putting it off for a while. I have a friend, a filmmaker friend. Like, this is one of his favorite movies ever made. Yeah. It didn't make a, a lot of sense to me at the time from what I've been hearing about it, but I was like, okay, I don't know. And then Red Letter Media said, we saw the movie, we didn't know what to do with it. And yes. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not ready right. for this shit. If they can't, <laughs> if they can't handle it. Have I not been properly selling it to you? No, no. I've had a lot of people try to sell it to me, and I don't think anyone was, obviously nobody was successful. Okay. So... It's. I gave this a rewatch, by the way, because I had not seen it since 2012. I saw it once. Yeah, it's 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 difficult. Difficult. It's a (laughs) impossible. (laughs) It's a masterpiece. It's amazing. It's a masterpiece. It's amazing. uh, (laughs) It's so good. But you watch it, and you're just by the end of it, like. Whoa, bro. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with that? I know. It is amongst the most challenging movies I've ever seen. And it's not like PTA is a stranger to making difficult movies. But dude, this is something else. This is another thing. Yeah. I don't. It's even still, I'm I'm like, what the fuck was that? But it's 
unbelievable. Yeah. Really is. And it's just ventures into this strange, like, gray area of space in terms of cinema yeah. that I've never been before. Right. Where the hell am I now? What yeah. is this? Ooh, yeah. get me out of here. <laughs> and then you come out and you're a totally different person. Right. Uh, boy, boy, the master. You know, it, kind of reminds me of magnolia and just not in terms of what it's about but just like with my similar i I walked away from it with a similar like huh Mm. kind of feeling towards it you know uh but like just so deeply affected and like you know you're affected by it but you 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 will sit down after watching this movie for an hour just trying to figure out what you're feeling Mm. (laughs) it's that kind of movie Mm -hmm. kind of made me think of like like if Paul Thomas Anderson read A Clockwork Orange and then just was inspired by the novel and then just made a movie kind of about those ideas was my uh-huh. take takeaway uh-huh. and ran away from it in a <laughs> sort of a similar way. I do relate this a lot to A Clockwork Orange in a lot of ways, similar, particularly with the obviously with the Joaquin Phoenix character mm. and his motivations and sort of what he's put through. Joaquin is brilliant in this. He's not there. That's the thing, right? He's not. He's not there. I, yeah. I didn't see Joaquin Phoenix. I in know. This movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was told Joaquin Phoenix was in this movie. It's like, what? I can't waste my time. This, uh, this poster lied to give me. Give me my money back. I know. <laughs> he is. He's astonishingly good in this movie. He's completely invisible. Joaquin Phoenix is invisible, but just like I like acting like I've never seen before. That was the one thing that jumped out to me on the rewatch. That I I, I don't know if I was a sophisticated enough viewer at the time. Yeah, to to notice. Like I I remember that performance being very chaotic and off the wall. And I mean, the character itself is unpredictable. Yep. So he does some shit in this movie where it's like you can't watch him. No, he's terrifying. Like he's really like, but also pathetic. Like oh my in, god, in the way like a pit bull needs to be put down. You know, it's like that kind of scary, but not like in like the charming of mice and men way. You no. know, or just like he's yeah. a gentle giant. He doesn't know any better. It's like no, this guy is insane yeah, and yeah. should be separated from society yes, exactly exactly um and, and so i think at the time I, I was just like so put off by the character now i watch it and i'm like man the scene where uh uh philip seymour hoffman processes him oh my god first that's one of the best scenes i've ever seen in a movie period oh goodness gracious Jesus Christ. and th- what both of them are doing i, I mean obviously uh psh is uh is always brilliant but Joaquin is carrying that thing. Oh my God! Yeah, and how he's able to break down and just the the face. I don't know how you can cry on command that quickly in a single shot. Yeah, while not yeah, yeah, yeah. blinking. Yeah, I know, I know. I Explain know. that one to me. I don't know. try cl- crying without <laughs> blinking at him. Give that one a shot. It's very hard. Yeah, it's, it's impossible. That scene is just because bl- it's it's. I don't know how you write that scene too, because you have to like destroy a human being's entire essence with with in a, a matter couple, of words, yeah, it's just a couple questions, yeah. and keep it together, and then also not keep it together. And the, it's that it's that internal struggle of I, I'm supposed to be breaking down while not looking like I'm breaking down. Yeah. <laughs> how do you do that? I know he is. Yeah. It's like I I really worry about the guy. Though. I do too. Because <laughs> like he really is doing stuff that seems impossible. I know. Serious on a, on a performance level, it's like it's one of those performances that shows you like Jesus. Is he the best actor that's ever lived? I know. I know. I don't. I don't think De Niro could do that. I don't think Pacino could do that. Uh, De Niro maybe in his peak, but I don't know. Brando. Brando, of course, Brando could yeah. have. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. He's, uh, yeah, he, he definitely. <sighs> listen, Joker. I feel 
a lot of conflicted things about Joker. Um, he's but not this bad is like, in Joker. He, no, he's good in Joker. But, this is Joker on steroids. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. This I like, the same You think thing, like Joker thing, yeah. is like that's as far into the abyss as you can go? Absolutely not. This is his best performance. Yeah, I, I, it is. I think I think pretty clearly his yeah. best performance. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, and then you have Hoffman. And this is a sad story, too. Yeah, this is his, sort of his last major performance. Do you know what happened? Uh, I guess I don't. Maybe. Well, he, I, oh, no, 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 I do. I, yes, I do. At the rap party, that was the first time he had a sip of alcohol in like years, right? He, yeah, someone offered him some uh, a glass of wine. He accepted it. He relapsed and then yes. he dies. Yeah. 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 yeah, awful. Yeah. But my goodness, what a great performance there, too. Uh, another just astonishingly good performance. Very different, like totally different. So here's my, my theory with this. Like, if I were to join a cult. <laughs> Nico, you're already in a cult. <laughs> I already run it. A few. <laughs> yep. Um, but if I were to join a cult, I would not be gravitating towards the bullshit artist that, like, had a nice suit on and was, like, very well-spoken and, like was like very even tempered and used car salesman. Like mm. I think like that it in order for a con artist to properly con you, they have to convince you that they're being honest. And the thing about Hoffman's performance here, and I think that's it's probably true of most most sort of uh cult leaders or or cult figures like this guy, is that you have to sort of let a little bit of your humanity peek out in oh, yeah. order for everyone else to sort of buy you as a person, like 99% of it can be bullshit. Mm. But if you have the one sort of angry reaction where you curse at Laura Dern oh, out of nowhere, yeah. like that's the moment where it's like, oh, this is actually a real guy. And although all of his words are lies, so much of this movie is about uncovering the truth. Mm-hmm. Like that interrogation scene or the, the processing scene where, where uh, Joaquin Phoenix reveals that he had sex with his aunt and like probably killed some people or whatever. Like that scene is about honesty. That scene is about vulnerability. And so much of the movie and so much of what those two characters are going through is is revealing things about themselves and showing their vulnerabilities and showing truthfulness. And that I always think is it, that I've always thought is kind of the the interesting contradiction of this movie, and the contradiction of of Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. He is so clearly a shyster. Yeah. He is so clearly a, a con man, uh, but he's a con man that like snaps at you and gets mad at you and yells at you mm. and says, "No one likes you except for me." <laughs> and uh, I think that's the kind of cult leader I would follow. I feel really? like I could follow a cult leader like this guy, you know? Well, cause he, he po- yeah. So he pokes through and shows you that he might not be, um, you know, indestructible, he's, he's, right? Like there's a phantom quality to those who feel like they can't be touched. Yeah. Yeah. And he shows that he can be a person. I yeah. see that. Yeah. His performance does a lot of that work too, yeah. honestly, right. with, with just like the way he talks to people. Even that's the scene where the fucking Joaquin farts. The same scene, you know? Right. And he's like, you're such an animal. Yeah. You know? It's the, it, he can... There's enough instances where the character can kind of have fun. And I think that's the other thing that would probably tip me over to someone like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still a nut job. Yeah. Still pretty yeah. fucking oh, crazy. Absolutely. But like I, if L. Ron Hubbard was like this, all right, I kind of get it, I suppose. Yes. Uh, and, and Amy Adams is good. Uh, a lot of cool. Uh, Remy Malik shows Remy up. Remy Malik, yeah, he's re, he's. Re, I actually thought he was, you know, a very small role, but he's quite good. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Plemons is in here. Yes, he is. 
a lot of just guys that we now think of as movie stars. Um, That's true. Yeah. It's it's obviously an actor showcase first, Mm -hmm. I would say. That script is unbelievable, though. Right. It's hard to write bullshit dialogue. You know what I mean? I, I really think it's a it's it's an amazing script because I just can't wrap my head around how he 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 came to these ideas seriously. Yeah. It's really like this is one of the one of the most challenging scripts to uh to to present, let alone write. Like, it's it's kind know. of that idea that like in King of Comedy, you have to yeah. know how to write jokes in order for that script to work. You have to know how to write bad jokes. Yeah, and or or in the case of King of Comedy, they're like jokes that are not quite bad but not quite good either Mm -hmm. and so you know you really have to be a stand-up comic in order to sort of thread that needle i think here similarly like it like i could i could spin you a tale right now about like you know aliens that landed here thousands of years ago and reincarnation (laughs) and all this stuff and Mm -hmm. and, but it wouldn't really sound like authentic cult shit and so there is kind of an art form. A lot of this dialogue is just nonsense. You know, oh, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman is just, you know, talking about reincarnation and the spirits and how, you know, the key to life is laughter and all, like all this stuff is just nonsense. But there is sort of a, a controlled chaos. There's an order to that nonsense. Oh, yeah. I think it's kind of it, it, it's a hard thing to nail down. Certainly. And it's also hard to be captivated by nonsense for, <laughs> for as long as this movie captivates you. Yeah. Well, that's why he's a cult leader, though. Right. You know? I, again, I, I you're, you're completely right. I just like the, the one of the reasons this movie so difficult for me personally is just like i have trouble imagining how they they got to these conclusions in the first place and how mm-hmm. they thought up a, a lot of this stuff yeah it's just maybe pta would be a great cult leader <laughs> maybe maybe that's the thing here sign me up <laughs> sign me up i guess there is a pta cult now yeah we'll play pinball all day sure. and... <laughs> <laughs> it's, i don't know this movie kind of scares me though you know yeah and that's that's part of the thing where it's like i i won't be watching this movie again for a long time yeah a long time and i i I wouldn't blame anyone even if it's their favorite movie and they said yeah i don't watch that movie it's like yeah yeah no this movie is one that will fuck with your head in in a similar fashion and it's hard and it's upsetting you might lose sleep over it it's but as long as you can find yourself jumping to the same conclusions that joaquin does by the end of the movie you might be okay yeah the the ending is it's kind of he's at peace, right? He's, yes, he's kind of conquered his demons. It's With kind himself. of a happy ending in a yeah. weird way. He knows he's a degenerate. He knows he's a, he's a nomad, l- lazy idiot. Yeah, who only seems to create problems. But that's who he is, and yeah, accepts it. Yeah, the line where Hoffman goes, "If you can find, if you can be the first person not to serve a master, please let us know." I mean that that line of dialogue really just encapsulates the whole movie. This yeah. idea that we're all looking a for, slave yeah. to something. Yeah, we're always sir, whether it's a person or it's a god, or it's a vice, we're all serving something, mm-hmm. you know? And this is about a guy that so desperately doesn't want to serve anyone, including his country, yeah. uh, until he finds this guy and kind of falls in love. It's kind of a love story, too, in a yeah, way. Yeah, it is. It's a, sort of a romance between the two of them. Yeah. But it's interesting because his arc is a little, like, circular in that, like, he's, the way he starts is basically the same way he ends, but it's a matter of him realizing, like, he was kind of where he was all along, uh-huh. which is actually kind of a sweet idea sometimes it sort of like represents this idea that sometimes you're not lost but you can get in your head that maybe you are yeah you know uh yeah there's just so much thematic shit that we could just yeah. go on and on about you I, know this whole idea of like a post-war america and yeah i, I think the, one of the inspirations for the movie was pta read an article that said that religious participation ticks up after wartime that's true yeah and so you know there's there's so much like americana in this too mm-hmm. uh the period stuff is just excellent i agree 
so well shot. Seven, 70 millimeter, bro. 65, I saw. The lenses were 65, but it was projected on 70. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 75. Yeah. So, uh, so shot on 65. Shot on 60? Shot, that's what I'm saying. Shot on 65, projected on 70. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, that's different. That's different. Yeah. yeah. But the, that grain, that, that really like grainy, dirty look yeah. is something you can only achieve on, I on guess, f- that kind of lens. On film, really, right. too. Yeah. The you shots can, of like the ocean. Oh, they're great. Yeah. It's like picturesque. Yeah, I love those. And the very, strangely iconic, though. Yeah. Like, like I remember when I saw when you see the shots, I instantly re- realized, oh, that is the master. I've seen that shot all over the place for some reason. But uh-huh. Really good. Um, brilliant. So much you could say about this movie. Though. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, you want some casting what ifs? Sure. Reese Witherspoon as the Amy Adams role. I would have liked that. I probably would have liked it more, honestly. You don't like Amy Adams. No, I, and I don't care for her in this one. <laughs> Uh, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman was always going to be yeah this character it's too perfect yeah and uh, you had for the lead Jeremy Renner <laughs> <laughs> what do you think I think it worked out for the best <laughs> and James Franco as whom Joaquin as Joaquin uh. <laughs> not into it again i'm always curious I'm, yeah. I'm i'm always curious i would yeah sure i'd like to see what that's like it's i don't think it's anywhere near as good but yeah okay uh <laughs> i'm glad you finally watched this movie me too i'm glad you finally watched it would you say it is the best movie on this list objectively speaking what would you say god i don't know it's <laughs> just this is maybe one of the issues with a with a movie like this where it's just so difficult that you don't even know what to do with it. Uh. It's just like, I don't fucking know about the master. And I think a lot of people felt the same way, mm. despite how amazing it is. But it's just like, shit. Mm. You know, just leave it alone. Mm. Yes, it's a great movie. Now leave it alone. Mm. <laughs> what do you think here, buddy? Uh, if you're going to give me silver linings, I will take your gift. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I, I, I'm willing to give you silver linings. I know, you, you know, like I said, Dread's my favorite, but we're not. We don't have to put Dread in. That's fine. Uh-huh. Um, what would your runner-up be? Um, I feel like we've done enough Tarantino. I agree. Um, yeah, Django's great. Maybe the Master might be my runner-up. That or uh, Zero Dark Thirty. So yeah. All right, I'm taking your gift. That's fine. Silver linings. Go ahead. I'm never this generous. <laughs> I know. And you're sitting there with a veto left, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, no. But it's, yeah, it's, I just used my veto. That's right. So now I, I gotta, I gotta force that thing out of you. Gotta hold on to it. No, I gotta, I, I'd love to see what you're gonna do. Oh, I gotta figure out a way to get that away. Because you did that to me one time. Yes, I did. You did. I got very sneaky. Yeah, you, you did some gamesmanship. And I normally play this above the board, but I might need to start hitting below the belt here. You need to be a special kind of idiot like me to really do that. And yeah. that's the problem. You're not quite stupid enough. Mm. <laughs> uh, all right. How was this experience in the time machine for you? This, this was nice. Did this you was, enjoy it? I did enjoy it. Going back into our glory days? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's, uh, it's, it was an interesting time. Mm. And I, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Okay. Any other movies you saw recently you'd like to shout out to the people? I saw Uncharted. Eh. 
<laughs> it's not. I will not be seeing Uncharted. You don't no. no. Okay. It's not the worst. Like some people fucking think it's horrible, and it. Yeah, video game movies still are bullshit. It's you, you could do much worse than Uncharted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, whatever. It's, okay. very, it's kind of boring. Um, Near Dark, which was not boring. It was awesome, mm-hmm. and I really, really loved it. Bigelow. Bigelow. The Master, of course. I saw two amazing Jonathan documentaries, so that was nice. Discussed uh, on why is this a thing this week? Yep. Jackass Forever, which was a tremendous amount of fun. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And the Tinder Swindler. Yeah, what'd you think? Uh, I'm sick of these well-shot documentaries. I don't know. <laughs> sick of them. Sick of them. Also, not that interesting. Yeah. I was very, I was like, it's fine. It feels like so many fucking Netflix documentaries. You know, the David Fincher influence for the look was getting on my nerves, you know. What do you what do you think of this? Uh, what do you think of this idea? Just trying it out for size. Okay. How about deleting my Netflix subscription? Okay. Cuz <laughs> What do you think? You want to delete your Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. Can we make a blood pact? Cuz I don't Would Abby would Abby uh would Abby settle for that? No. No, she would not. But I don't need to watch Netflix myself. You know, mm. I'll watch Seinfeld. That's all I watch. It's all I fucking watch on Netflix is Seinfeld. That's it. Maybe we boycott. Netflix. Maybe we boycott until Mindhunter comes back. Oh. Either make Mindhunter happen or we're canceling our subscriptions. Uh, I would love to get more Mindhunter at this point. Jesus Christ. It's stupid that they haven't done anything with it. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm just not into these like trendy, like dating true document, true crime documentaries that... Another Tiger King, like I, yeah, I, I, I don't. Th- th- who has the time? Yeah, because I watched Filthy Rich, the Epstein thing, and I thought the same thing. I was yeah. like, yeah, it just kind of feels like it's all the same movie. I know. It's I don't know. I, I just don't like that it's trendy. Everybody has to watch it now, and it's like it's the only thing that people watch are like mediocre crime docs. On yeah, there. I thought the same. Thing. The algorithm is fueling uh, our 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 watch habits a little too much these days. I think. Uh, that's the problem with Netflix. They seem to be the most algorithm-driven yeah, I agree. streaming well, yeah. service of all of them. It's those recommendations and stuff like that. Here's what I would recommend people do. What? Cancel the old Netflix. Sign up for HBO Max. <laughs> you know? I mean, l- listen. It, HBO is where it's at. It's always been where it's at. Don't overthink this. What about just cancel all your streaming services? Just physical? Just go back to... Go physical? Yo, what about if we cancel Netflix streaming, but we sign up for Netflix DVDs again? <laughs> are they still doing they that? They are. Oh, my God. It's called, like, DVD.com. <laughs> they changed the name. That's a hell of a trick. Yeah. I am a firm believer that the way we consume movies has been in, like completely damaged by the way we binge movies now. Mm. And the fact, you know, the fact that everything, even if a movie is great... It's still disposable because that's how we treat it when we watch them on streaming services. Yes. There is something important and special about having the movie or going to a theater and seeing. I know I sound like I'm 80 years old. I'll tell you what, the Criterion channel, though, I'll pop that on occasionally. And the way I don't know if it's the way it's advertised, the way the movies are presented or the curation of it. I do feel like a lot more respectful towards those movies. And I feel like I'm making an event like tonight I'm going to watch a Criterion movie. I'm going to watch like a Howard Hawks movie from the 40s or something. It's a great interface. It's also just the, the fact that they have like a whole bio for the movie and yes. you have to look for it. Here's the thing about streaming services is like 
boom, here's the movies. Right. They're all right there for you. You got to look it's, for it, but it, it's curated too, where it's like sure. there's only uh, 200 movies on that service at any given time. So you have to choose from one of those 200, you know, and they, I like how they categorize it too as like mm-hmm. noir or like, you know, New York movies in the 80s or whatever, something like that. Like that is that's the one experience now that I think most closely resembles what Blockbuster was. Yeah. As a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like I actually have to put some thought into what I'm watching tonight. And also because it's a Criterion movie, I've been told that it's special. So I can't just watch this thing in the background. Like I actually have to take the time and like really get into this random David Mamet movie. Sure. But that's helpful. Like even just being told that it's special, being told they're like trying to make an event out of it just makes the movie watching experience a little more important. Also leads to conversation, motivates yeah. conversation a bit more. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to recommend a movie or show it to someone, you know, with you or Jabril. One of the things like, like Jabril is very good about this too, by just being like, just saw this on Criterion. There you go. And I'm right. like, oh shit. Okay. I got to watch that. Now. I love that. I see. I'd much rather have that kind of conversation than... Yo, did you see Squid Game yet? What episode of Squid Game are you on? I haven't watched Squid Game. Yeah. Yeah, eh, whatever. It's all right. We'll be on our own corner by ourselves. Just it's, watching Kurosawa movies. But, nerding out. It's just... It's too much. It's too much. I know. Guys, it's like, how are you not like... Too much content. That's your, it's content. That's too, the problem. It's like... Too much content. Movies are are supposed to be special and like they're experiences. They're not content. I know. I can just watch PewDiePie if I want. If I want content, that's it. Yeah, that's fine. And that's it's it's its own realm. Right. Fine. Yeah. Uh. All right. Good show. We'll be Good. back next week. Two weeks from now, with God knows what. Um. Do we have any movies coming out? Well, the Batman. We could talk about Batman. Yeah. Maybe we'll have a Batman review coming up. I wouldn't mind. We're due for a movie hopping, or or what was it? What what what, what did we call it? I guess it was movie hopping when we were just doing reviews. Yeah, that's what the show was. At a certain point, we'll go to our own World War Three and talk. Nope. We are on the five year anniversary of this particular podcast. Wow! From the from movie hopping onward. Wow! Uh, I believe it started with a review of Alien uh, Covenant. Covenant. Yep. Yes, that's correct. That and that would have been June of twenty seventeen. <sighs> Yeah, I think so. Wow. 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 Oh, boy. (laughs) Jeez. Here we are. Yeah. Five years later, still still, still doing it. Holy shit. All right. Until next time. You've all been so... No. (laughs) Take two. Until next time. Ladies, can you touch this? Can you touch this? (laughs) 